All right, are we good? Yep. Sir. All right, I'll bring this meeting to order. Welcome everybody to the Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, Lawrence City Commission meeting. And now we'll have uh, Sherry go ahead and give us the rundown to start us off. Good evening, everyone. To minimize distractions during the meeting, please silence your cell phone. For those attending virtually, please ensure you are muted and your video is off when you are not actively participating in the meeting. The city reserves the right to turn videos off or mute virtual participants. The meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. When the mayor calls for public comment, please approach the podium to indicate you wish to speak. Those participating virtually should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. If you have any trouble, you can send a chat and all chats go directly to the meeting host. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Sherry. All right, start us off with agenda item A, uh, approve the agenda. City Commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Um, any? Move no? to approve the agenda. Second out there. Second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 None opposed, passes 5-0. All right. Item B, recognition, proclamation, and presentation. The recognition of Truman Budwa. Uh, there's someone here to speak to that? Good evening, commissioners. My name is Jillian Rodrig. I'm honored to be here as the representative for Douglas County Emergency Management, and I'm joined by our local emergency planning committee chair, Tony Foster, as we celebrate Truman Budwa for his 40 plus years of service uh, to our community. Bud has dedicated himself to serving others, particularly those that have been impacted by disasters. Leveraging his extensive expertise, he's made a positive impact on both our community resilience as well as our operational effectiveness. From community training to emergency operations, Bud shares not only his technical expertise, but has mentored volunteers and is quick to share a kind word, a smile, and a joke just at the right time when you need it. We are grateful that this distinguished public servant continues to volunteer with emergency management as an instructor for our community emergency response team training, as well as a member of our auxiliary communications team. Thank you, commissioners, for this opportunity to celebrate the 40-plus years of community service that Bud Waugh has given to the Douglas County and the City of Lawrence communities. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Bud, did you want to say anything? They're going to read the proclamation. And you read get a copy. All right. Nope. All right. Whereas Truman Budwa has resided in Lawrence for the past 68 years and has devoted his life to public service, and whereas Bud has represented the City of Lawrence City Lawrence Commission on the Douglas County Emergency Management Advisory Board and Local Emergency Planning Committee for the past 44 years, and whereas Bud is a United States Army veteran who then as a civilian served another 30 years as an operator with the Army, Army Military Amateur Radio System, and whereas Bud 
Todd earned a prestigious United States President's Call to Service Award by serving over 4,000 volunteer hours of service in a lifetime to his country and community. And whereas, Bud was honored with the 2005 Wally Galuzzi, Wallace Galuzzi Outstanding Volunteer Award for service with the Federal Emergency Management Agency by traveling to six hurricane disaster sites serving over 2,000 volunteer hours, and whereas Bud is a retired analyst having served 35 years with the Kansas Geological Survey and con continues to serve as a volunteer for the Douglas County Emergency Management as a member of the Auxiliary Communication Team and the Community Emergency Response Team. Now, therefore, I, Bart Littlejohn, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, Kansas, along with my fellow commissioners, do hereby recognize Truman Bud Waugh, for his steadfast commitment representing the Lawrence City Commission on the Douglas County Emergency Management Advisory Board and the Local Emergency Management Planning Committee. Thank you, sir. Excuse me, Mr. Walk, can you go ahead and move to the mic? Just, Just so everybody can go ahead and hear you. Is this better? Yes. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank every boss that I have ever had. I don't, I can't remember any of them that actually did their job as, as being boss, but. They're all great people, <laughs> and they helped me in the way they did their work because it gave me a practical lesson on how to work with people. And this was, it's even in, uh, uh, like Skywarn used to be, because I'm not in Skywarn right now, I've had people treat me like one of the family you go out and park in their driveway and watch the clouds and radio back to the, uh, the uh, headquarters. The, and uh, I've, had, uh, I've had them come out down this long path from the house with a, a tray of lettuce and all kinds of stuff that covered up a real dinner. <laughs> and and uh, I I kind of kind of hate to be in a position to dislike people like that. <laughs> They're very fine, very fine people there, very fine people at the public, and uh, I just uh, can't thank them enough for what they gave me. Thank you. Thank you, sir. I will move us on to uh, item number C, public comment. The public is not allowed to speak on items or agendas, or uh, issues or items that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. Comments should be limited to issue, issues and items germane to the business of the governing body. The commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. Oh, 
sorry. Can we hold off for a second to let everybody go ahead and exit? <clears throat> Thank you. Any public comment at this time? I wasn't prepared to come up so quick. I thought surely <laughs> there would be some other public comment. Um, I got an interesting view of things today. An interesting view of the confusion between you guys up there. And we're going to need you guys to get on the same page. So whether that means you guys need to have some private special meetings or what needs to happen, but you guys all need to come to some kind of consensus understanding of what your job is and what your authority is and what your directives are. Because I know at least one former and one current have some differences about how things should be done. <clears throat> Hopefully, we're starting to find out that Burt Nash isn't really all that much of what we thought it was doing for our money. And unfortunately, it's been misunderstood that I'm blaming all the ground people, people on the bottom rung. This isn't a bottom rung issue with Burt Nash. It's a top rung issue. And unfortunately, the bottom rung gets to play out their role in the street or they get frustrated and choose not to do that role anymore. But the reality is, is that the top rung is expecting the bottom rung to do things that the bottom rung knows it's not supposed to be doing. And they're being put in the untenable position of either going along to get along or moving on. Those are their choices. And that's unfair to them. And it's unfair to the public they're supposed to be serving. That's about 50% of your homeless problem here in town right now, is that your overarching plan included a lot of Burton Ash goals and ideals that didn't ever come to fruition. <clears throat> While I respect the fact that there was a plan, Commissioner Finkel died when we brought up the emergency issues and asked that you guys open up the community shelter. <clears throat> and a lot of people came here to ask that. You made the comments that, that there was a plan. And indeed, there is a plan. But that plan is a very high level, grandiose up here plan with no real implementation down in the middle rungs. And that's what you saw during that winter emergency, was that there wasn't much implementation happening of that grand plan that we had. I don't know where the dysfunction is, but whatever's happening in the high-level offices is not getting down to the low-level offices. You may actually have the right person to solve that. I have my differences with a lot of stuff that's happened. But Misty might actually be the right person to solve it if you keep them out of, the, out of her hair and keep them out of her way and keep them from making bad decisions for her. Okay. Not seeing any other public comment here. Um, Jerry, online. Stephen Watts. Hi. Wow. Uh, 
what he just said, that isn't what I came here to talk about tonight, but, you know, what is the job of the commissioners? We have prior commissioners thinking who believe they represent the public or they don't represent the public, but rather as function as go-betweens to the town executive team instead of having, let's use the military model because that's the one that's in play these days, much to my dismay, dismay and disdain, that there are no boots on the ground going out and finding out what is actually going on in the belly of the beast of our town government. And that is sort of what Mr. Aravi was just referring to. But what I'm here tonight is to talk about the provision of government service in our town. We must seek and expand, expansion. We must, we got to seek and expand expansion of service. We have to increase it, not reduce it. Let's use it as an example. The town commitment to, quote, sustainability, unquote. There hasn't been electronic recycling for over a year in our town now. Also, there hasn't been an expansion or a realization that shredding events should be run in tandem with the electronic recycling. Shredding events go on across the country. In fact, our town staff have now negated the prior two years that our town experienced for shredding events in conjunction with electronic recycling, stating that they can't get staff to go work that. I assert that the Fair Labor Standard Act can bring into play the ability of these well-paid executives to come and meet the public and hang out at these recycling events and do what they're going to do. I mean, you know, man the rampart, so to speak. Instead of making $30,000 a year employees work on the weekend, these $200,000 a year folks, I don't know, we want to expand services. Where is the electronic recycling? Do we not care about that anymore? Was it just something for cannon fodder? And the excuse of, well, the county might do this and the county might do that. Haven't we learned that the relationships that have been established over the last 60 years between the city of Lawrence and the county of Douglas County have not been particularly helpful to the town of Lawrence? Yes, our town moves and progresses and grows. It's a good thing. However, let's look for expansion of services by our town government versus turning it over to not-for-profits. Thank you. That's all the comments, Mayor. Okay. All right, I'll move us on to agenda item D, consent agenda. Uh, items on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and approved by one motion. Members of the governing body may remove items for separate discussion if desired. Members of the public may remove items identified as quasi-judicial for separate discussion. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. Any uh, of the commission, would you like to pull any items on the consent agenda? None for me, sir. Okay. Not seeing any. And uh, we have one item on the quasi-judicial. Um, would members of the public like to pull that? Not seeing any here. Um, Sherry, you can check on Zoom. Yeah. 
Uh, there's no comments on that item here. Okay. I'll go ahead and bring it back. Move for approval of the consent agenda. Second. I have a first and a second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 That's five passed, zero opposed. All right. And let's go down. All right. Item F, work session. The work session provides an opportunity for the city commission to discuss items in greater detail. The commission will take up no binding action on these items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for public comment. Members of the public will be limited to three minutes for comments. All right, you guys are up. <coughs> oh, sorry, oops. Was it you, Chief? Yes. All right. We try to find an average with the desk height here <laughs> for all of us. <clears throat> Do you want to get the. I think you'll just do escape when you're sharing that other. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Share screen. All right. Good evening, commissioners and, and mayor. My name is Rich Llewellyn. I'm the fire chief for Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical. I have with me Mackenzie Azell, who's our accreditation manager, and Kevin Joles, who's our division chief of emergency medical services. We're here tonight to give you an update uh, from the safe and secure outcomes area. And really wanna focus on talking about cardiac arrest and, and launch our Pulse Point app, it, what I would call a hard launch. It's, uh, it's been here for a while, it's been here since I got here. We've been trying to add some features in the background. Uh, now we want to we want to do a hard launch and, and roll it out. And I hope at the end of this presentation you'll see why. And and um, I hope to answer all your questions or or have generate some questions and discussion and and that we can uh, talk about the app. So we'll go ahead and move into the presentation. There we go. I right, uh, just want to talk about Pulse Point itself. It's an app that you have on your phone. It's, it's uh, platform agnostic, so it can be on your iPhone, it can be on your Android. Uh, the background and, and where this came from, a fire chief in San Ramon Valley named Richard Price was having lunch, heard a fire engine pull up. He was having lunch in his own, his own district. Uh, fire engine and ambulance pulled up. Uh, he went outside as, as most fire chiefs would do to see what was going on, asked what was up, and found out there was a cardiac arrest in a neighboring business. Uh, that, that prompted him to think, had he known that there was a cardiac arrest there, he could have gone there, started CPR, got a public access defibrillator, delivered a defibrillation shock, um, done, made a difference, uh, but he had no idea uh, what was going on. And, and just imagine a building this size, there could be a cardiac arrest on the second floor uh, in, in a closed office. We wouldn't know until the fire department pulled up and we might see some folks in blue walking, walking behind us with their equipment. And, and at that point, again, we'd be wondering what was going on. Uh, San Ramon Valley is a very uh, tech-focused fire department. Uh, their website address is firedepartment.org. So they were, they were on board early uh, in this uh, internet uh, fad and, and adopted it uh, early. He started talking to developers, uh, created an app that essentially crowdsourced the notification 
uh, to the public of cardiac arrest events in a public space. So if there's a cardiac arrest event that happens here as a public building, um, folks would know. Uh, if there's one that happened in a, in a house, the, the public doesn't know, and that's, that's where the original focus of this app was. It's evolved over time. We'll talk about some of the, some of the evolution. Uh, as, as he puts it, when he first phrased what his idea was, we're going to dispatch the public to cardiac arrest events. There was some consternation uh, amongst the dispatch center. There was some consternation amongst his governing board, other firefighters. Said we don't want a crowd there. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't want to violate people's privacy. Uh, if a cardiac arrest event happens in a public place. Uh, there's already the potential for a crowd to be there. Hopefully we want someone there who would know CPR and could start CPR. Uh, I've, had, uh, um, I've done CPR a lot in my career, uh, and it's, it's never pretty, uh, but the people we've saved, I don't think, had too many complaints about you know, the fact that they, they were subject to medical procedures in public. Um, I've, I've had some good outcomes where folks thanked me. I've never been approached to say, I wish you would have left me alone uh, in that public place because I've, I'm embarrassed. Uh, so that, that was his, his brainchild, launched it, created a nonprofit foundation that, that is now his, his job. He retired from the fire service and now runs the Pulse Point Foundation. Uh, and started getting it out into communities across the U.S. We're going to see uh, some, some communities uh, where folks are at that, that follow us. Um, and we'll, we'll have some discussion about some of the other aspects of the program. Uh, why is this important? It's important because 1,000 people every day in the U.S. experience sudden cardiac arrest. Here in Douglas County, you can see the numbers are uh, about 10 a month experience cardiac arrest. We can't put a firefighter on every corner, uh, but we can probably have a cell phone near every corner. And if that person who has that cell phone knows CPR and is willing to perform CPR, um, that's, that expands our reach. You can see the, the graphic on, on the right side of the screen talks about the occurrence of brain damage. Uh, it, the likelihood of somebody being resuscitated with no damage decreases by about seven to 10 percent per minute. So by the time you hit 10 minutes, the likelihood is, is pretty low that somebody's going to have um, or, or going to be able to be resuscitated without any kind of damage. I'm not saying it, it's not going to happen. I, I've seen some really weird stuff and, and weird in good ways happen over the course of my career uh, to where people who had been down for a long time came back without brain damage. But the earlier we can get people CPR, the earlier we can get them defibrillation, the better their outcome is or the more likely their outcome is. A question was raised last week about the economic uh, impact of cardiac arrest. Uh, I have seen some studies that look at the impact of saving people, the, the reduction in economic loss because somebody didn't die. And it's, it's significant. Uh, one I was looking for, a data point I couldn't find, is what's the economic loss by time CPR was first applied. I, I'd be interested to see that, to, to see um, what the difference is. I, I would propose there is probably is a difference, but um, that's, that's a study for another day. I'm gonna hand this over to Kevin Jules. 
So one of the safe and secure outcomes that we're looking at is the, um, the instance in which we deliver the patient to the hospital with a pulse, or we call that return of spontaneous circulation, or ROSC. Uh, over the four-year span here, <clears throat> because our CARES data has not been released yet, it usually comes in April of the following year, uh, we've been on about an average of 20.3, which is uh, roughly about the, the national average for high-performing um, CPR uh, uh, communities. Um, we do have the opportunity and the, um, you know, we put a pretty high um, target at 60%. I think it's achievable, uh, but it takes a lot of work in order to get there, which one of those ways is by using the PulsePoint app, having it be something known in our community, teaching CPR at a better rate than what we're doing now, and having people aware of what's going on around them so that they are not hesitant to act uh, when the time comes. Um, so uh, you'll see quite a discrepancy between where we are and where we want to be. Um, however, this is an opportunity to be able to educate the public um, in a grand way. And, and on the slide prior, I think the we're chief may, and I hate to point it out, but um, we're about 20 um, cardiac arrests a month now, and that's grown steadily over the years. Um, as you know, our, our calling calls have increased over the years um, quite significantly. So um, we're about 20 every every single month. Uh, so I spoke of the CARES registry, which is the cardiac arrest registry to enhance survival. In this, in this, um, in this nation, the United States, we have the CARES registry. There's other uh, registries across the the world that um, measure um, cardiac arrest data. Now, only probably. 30% of the nation's um, EMS and first responding agencies devote their, um, their, not only their money, but their time in entering, entering this data. So this data is mostly comes from high performers. Now there are high performers that don't put their, put anything into CARES, reg, CARES registry, but how it works is we have an individual within our organization that um, submits this data monthly and then it goes to the hospital. Whatever hospital that we transport to, a majority of our cardiac arrests, 95% of them, go to LMH. The rest of them might go to Johnson County or a um, Topeka hospital, but they'll report as well. And so how we get our number is when the hospital reports as well. So like I said, the safe and secure outcome is the return of spontaneous circulation when we deliver to the hospital, and then the CARES registry is what happens once they've been released, if they do um, eventually are released from the hospital. Uh, this is this also costs us um, money. However, um, the Johnson County, the the current Johnson County medical director for the EMS system was able to work a deal with the KDHE and um, the CARES registry. So the money that we spent this last year and the money that we'll spend for 2024, which is about $1,500, will go towards the CARES registry. But this will be the last time, hopefully for a while, with a grant that we won't have to pay $1,500. It'll essentially be free for the state of Kansas um, for anybody to use it, which will hopefully drive the data up uh, throughout the state and some non-users will become users. So let's talk about how PulsePoint works. Uh, somebody calls 911, says there's somebody here who's in cardiac arrest, they're not moving, they're not breathing. Um, I've, I've listened to a lot of these calls and the dispatchers typically do a pretty good job of, of parsing out. Uh, if somebody is, is, has fainted versus somebody's in cardiac arrest. There are some really key questions that are asked early in the phone call that target this. We identify, once the dispatchers identify it is a cardiac arrest, they, they push the buttons on their, on their console and it's siphoned off to the PulsePoint um, data server. 
That server identifies the geolocation of where that cardiac arrest event is, pings everybody within a quarter mile, or it pings all the pulse point nation, if you will, identifies those users within a quarter mile, and then gives them a notification that there's a cardiac arrest in a public event, as long as it's in a public space. Uh, the nearby users will get that notification, and it's a really distinctive sound on your phone. I know, you know, my phone makes a lot of beeps over the course of the day, and I, I'm used to a lot of them. But when Pulse Point sounds off on my phone, I look at it because it's it's something different, it's something unusual. Uh, I have had it happen recently, as recently as as uh, December. Um, and, and so it, it does happen you know, occasionally, and, and I'll get into why I've, I've had it happen a couple of times. Uh, and then ideally, on, on the far right, users will head over to where the cardiac arrest event is, and you see that individual has an AED in their hands. Hopefully they can get uh, access to an AED as well. So let's talk just a second. Um, let's switch to the video, and we're gonna watch a video from the Pulse Point Foundation. <coughs> suffered a sudden cardiac arrest. He isn't the only one. Today, a thousand people in the United States will have the same experience. Time is now critical. As a call is placed to emergency dispatch, the clock continues to tick. Emergency responders are several minutes away. Unfortunately, several minutes can be too long. For every minute Joel goes unaided, his chance of survival decreases by 10%. Fortunately, Joel lives in a Pulse Point connected community. Pulse Point is integrated with his community's emergency dispatch. The moment Joel's emergency call came in, a Pulse Point alert went out, connecting nearby CPR trained volunteers and AEDs to his location. Meet Scott, an off duty firefighter out running errands, and Donna, a financial planner working next door. Because they were nearby and quickly alerted, they're now able to provide life-saving care until emergency responders arrive. That initial care made all the difference. This is Joel. He's a sudden cardiac arrest survivor. Armed with Pulse Point, any volunteer can help save a life. Become a life-saving volunteer and download Pulse Point today. CPR when someone has collapsed and is not breathing because it can keep people alive until emergency. It is, yeah. Can we go up one? think. Let's go back one, please. Yeah, right there. All right, so this is what your phone screen's going to look like when you get a CPR call. You're, you're going to hear that 
that unusual sound, you're gonna see a CPR needed and you can click I'm responding and guide me and you'll get a step-by-step -step, uh, map to wherever the CPR is occurring. Uh, that's what it looks like on the left when you first get it. Uh, when you hit I'm responding, uh, you see what the center looks like. Uh, you can see that there is a cardiac arrest on a golf course. Uh, looks like the exact location is in the rough. Um, <laughs> And a hilly golf course, so I can see uh, I can see some problems there. Uh, the blue dot is the person whose phone has been alerted. They know where to go. You can see that there's an AED nearby. That's the yellow um, triangle or, or uh, um, rectangle. And so they can access that AED and then take it with them. Once they get to the patient, if they need a quick refresher on how to perform CPR, they can, they can go to the next screen and say, I'm at the patient. You can see that this is also language agnostic, uh, so you can download the app in, in your preferred language. I'm not sure all, all the ones they have, but they do have Spanish as well as English. Uh, next, I want to talk about Verified Responder Pro. I mentioned that, that uh, Rich Price and the Pulse Point Foundation started to evolve the app after they got it up and running with the, the first crowdsource CPR aspect. Uh, one of the next things they worked on is called the Verified Responder Program. Uh, when I was working at another entity, I was, I was fortunate enough to be in charge of a regional pilot project that, that piloted uh, the Verified Responder Access. This program allows us as, a, as an agency to identify folks and, and verify that they are our responders and, and they end up getting access to the, to the private CPR events. So if it occurs in someone's home, our folks who are our responders are gonna get notification uh, that, that CPR is needed nearby. Um, I, I responded to a call in December uh, that was in my neighborhood. It, I wasn't the first one there because it was far enough away that, that the crews that were on duty got there first, but I did go over and, and do what I could to assist and uh, talk, to the, talk to the patient's family and, and help out with the call. So I got that notification. Uh, it happened um, not while I was at Spokane, but right after I left Spokane. There was a Spokane Fire Department lieutenant who was off duty, got notification that his neighbor was having a cardiac arrest. He had a, a grant-funded AED that was, that was his own personal AED, took it over there, delivered a shock before the fire department arrived, and the patient had had a return of circulation before the, the responders got there. So good outcome. Uh, that's, that's what we want to do. Most cardiac arrests occur in the home. And so we need to be able to spread our reach. Uh, we do have a responder who's responded a couple times last, last year to an arrest or a notification in his neighborhood. Um, and we've, we've recognized him for that. Um, and it, it is, you're helping your neighbors. And, and that's one of the things I really appreciate about the, the Verified Responder Pro program. Uh, the app has an ID that, that you can show. So, hey, I'm a, I'm a verified responder, I'm here. It's not just somebody showing up at the door. And, and in my case, uh, I had dog pajamas on, so I changed out of those because I didn't want to show up and, uh, and scare, the, scare whoever was there. But uh, um, the Spokane case study I was talking about, he showed up with a white T-shirt. He just lounged around his house, and but he had his, his app that said, hey, I'm a verified responder. So he was able to, to get in and, and help out. And you could hear the phone call, the, the um, wife of the patient talking to 911 said, a firefighter's here. So he was there and identified himself. Kinsey. Hello. 
So this is a community view. Chief just talked to us about the First Responder Pro. Um, the other side of that is community. And so this has been, he'd mentioned that we rolled this out two years ago, um, and it was a soft, low-key rollout, and that we've made improvements since we um, first made that public. And so one of the improvements is, um, this is LDCFM's a little screenshot from the other day. This is our feed. And so the feed will show you, I think it's up to like 100 incidents or the last 24 hours. And so um, you'll see as calls come through, there's a medical emergency at the very top. It does not give the exact location on the community view. Um, when you click that incident, typically it takes you to a map and it'll show you exactly where that is. On the community view, that map is um, not available. And so we have a medical emergency. We can see that Medic 2 and Quint 2 are responding on that. And so if you are outside and you're in this area and you see Medic 2 go by, um, you kind of connect the dots to what LDCFM is doing. You can also see the time that's there. And as you scroll down, you can see our fire alarms are different than the medicals. Um, so any fire call is going to give you an exact address. So any call that does not have a patient um, will show you the exact address on the list, but then also if you click on it, it will open up that map, um, that map template. So um, users in the community view can subscribe um, for free to a lot of different um, departments, really any agency that has it. Um, me personally, when I travel, I like to keep it open to see what agencies, um, as I'm traveling around, have Pulse Point um, and to see what those departments are doing. Um, so communities can, or community members can also do that. Um, we, Pulse Point is a Douglas County app. Um, so Douglas County has, um, when they rolled this out, it was a countywide um, application. And so most of our first responding agencies um, in Douglas County have this app. So LDCFM is not the only one, if you live in Douglas County, that you can follow. Then we'll go to the next one, please. So this is a quick screenshot that PulsePoint is able to provide us as um, verified responder users, um, an admin user specifically. And so this gives us a quick snapshot of how many people, well, where people are that follow LDCFM um, when this was taken. And so right now we have a little less than 2,000 subscribers to LDCFM. And so if, um, if someone lives here and another family member lives maybe in Florida, they can still keep an eye on what LDCFM is doing um, by sub subscribing to that app. So you can either see um, a department's activity, whether you're in that location within their jurisdiction, or if you subscribe to them and you're not in that jurisdiction. So this is kind of cool. You see two different colors. We have yellow and we have red. Um, red is the verified first responders. So those are LDCFM people. We can see that we have some people traveling right now or when this was taken. Um, and then everybody else is just the community. And so for LDCFM administration, we can see um, the only information that we can see on these users um, is that it's a community user for yellow and that's it. And then um, for red, we can see who that verified responder, um, the ID of that phone that PulsePoint has given them. So um, there's a lot of very private information that never even makes it onto the server, but it gives us just enough to have these conversations to say, um, this is how the app works and um, this is our reach right now. And then we have the next slide has um, kind of a zoomed in picture to the city of Lawrence. 
And so this was um, February 5th that we did a screenshot. So this is um, pretty impressive, especially for a um, soft rollout. We have quite a few people in the city that do subscribe to LDCFM. Obviously, um, the reason that we're here today is to increase the subscribers and just the interaction with LDCFM. Um, and one way is through social media, another way is through, um, through PulsePoint to see our actual activities. And then have things that shouldn't be shown or that are private be private, but anything that we're able to show to have that out there and um, be transparent. I think we're ready for the next slide. So another enhancement that the Pulse Point Foundation added in was an AED registry. So we want to get people CPR, we want to get people early access to AEDs. If you don't know where the AEDs are, it can be difficult. Uh, so again, they turned a, a crowdsourcing approach to identifying AEDs, capturing that information, and, and getting it to, into the system. Uh, so the map on the left shows AEDs, and they're a little bit clustered um, because, of the, because of how the GEO uh, program works or the GIS program works. So you can see uh, right around here, there's three AEDs. Uh, there are three locations that have AEDs. There, and this building is one of them, I know, because I've, I've entered some of them that are in this building. Uh, KU's been very good about entering AEDs. You can see there's uh, 47 centered around one location, 38 and 31 in other locations. If you have this app, you can zoom in and see where the AEDs are actually at. You can see if they're restricted or not. Um, for example, if there's an AED that's behind the, the wall of the police department, somebody's not going to be able to, to get in there and get it right away, but folks are going to know there's an AED in there, so that might be someplace they go. If it's a building that might be closed at night, it, it will have the, that information in there that, the, that that's not there. Um, the actual location, and you can see the, the app on the right, shows an AED that somebody has captured for us. That's an Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, they, sh they snapped a picture of it, and it's always interesting to see the pictures. We want to see it in its surrounding environment, because I, I have seen pictures that show AEDs from six inches away, and that's, that's not uh, the helpful part we want. We want to see where the AED is so we can recognize it in a, in a pinch. Uh, but you can see that it has um, some additional information there. First floor near the gate 11 entrance, uh, right by the ATM. You can actually see the ATM in the picture. That's, that's going to put you in the context of where that AED is at. You see it's restricted access because Allen Fieldhouse is not open all the time. And then it has an address. So if somebody was to be an AED app user and, and find one, see one out in the wild, uh, they can pull up the app, see if the AED is in there. If not, they can add it very quickly. It's a very simple process. When that's added, we get an email we, that there's a new AED and, and we can go out, take, make sure the photo looks good. And, and if not, we can, we can create, uh, fix that photo. We can actually put it in the building. So this one, if you're to look at an overhead shot of Allen Fieldhouse, will show what entrance it's by. You're gonna be able to zoom in to Allen Fieldhouse and you'll see that this is by gate 11. And then we want folks to also know that the, it's registered in PulsePoint. So we created these stickers, uh, partnered with the PulsePoint Foundation to create stickers that are specific here to Lawrence and Douglas County. And we slap those stickers on the side of the boxes when we see them, the AD cabinets. Uh, and there are a couple different apps. Like we mentioned, the, the AED app is separate if you want to, to take a look at AEDs in your community. 
uh, or you can join the PulsePoint app. And we encourage everyone to join the PulsePoint app. If there is an activation, you're going to get notification of where an AED is at using the PulsePoint app. So you don't have to be in uh, the, the AED side of it. Um, and there's a QR code there. And we are listed as Lawrence Douglas Co. Kansas. So if you want to follow us, you can uh, see where it's at. Uh, that the public information I, I've always appreciated. I, I hear a siren. I, I click on real quick to see where our folks are going. I hear a siren from home, and I'll see what's going on because it's usually Engine Four going someplace. Uh, at a previous house I lived in, I, I didn't work in that community, but I was a member of their or followed them on Pulse Point, and I'd see a big red fire engine going by, and I'd like to see where my, my tax dollars are going, and I'd pull it up and say, okay, they're going to an EMS call downtown, or there's a fire up the street, and you know, just, just kept me a little bit more connected to, to my fire department. Um, so we really do encourage folks to, to download the app, you don't have to know CPR. You can just download it and follow the fire department. If you're willing to provide CPR, that's great. We want everybody to, to have that opportunity. Um, you don't have to be an expert at it. Uh, we, we just want folks who are, who are willing to try. And thank you for your time, and we're willing to answer any questions you might have. All right. Thank you, Chief. Um, now open for questions. Any questions from the commission? Your QR code worked. I just tried it. <laughs> oh, it didn't work? It did work. Oh, it did? Okay. Oh, yeah. Just a couple questions. Probably, I've had it, f I had it for a while, but then I just realized when I got the thing that I didn't have it on always notified or something. I had to turn on that function. Um, so it's always on running in the background. So note to self. Yeah. I've had it for a while. I've checked it, but I've never, I've never got a... A notification of a CPO. You said it's only it only notifies you that if you're within a quarter. So it's a quarter wow. mile in okay. a public place. Okay. So if, if there was something that happened in the lobby here or across the street, you would get a notification. You it would it would ping your phone. Um, if it was a house that's within a quarter mile, you're not going to get it. Okay. And then just because I like to follow it too, just since you're here, I'll ask you, what does what does it mean when it says standby? Uh, great question. So. You want to answer that? So, so typically, typically that's when we're doing a standby for uh, law enforcement. Okay. Yeah, or we're or we're just station or we're uh, static at a location for uh, numerous reasons, but typically when we're on standby for law enforcement. And then, what does public service mean? So, public service um, is going to probably change. It um, our our dispatchers left, so <coughs> this is okay to talk about. Um, <laughs> With the uh, recent deployment of Mobile Integrated Health, they were using that as public assist um, or public service, but that's now going to be changed to MIH check. So you'll see MIH check on there. That'll be a Mobile Integrated Health um, contact. Public service or public assist is typically done or used by law enforcement. And oh, and it's training apparently as well. Okay. And then I guess I've been surprised how many ODO investigations and of course how many lifts lift assist you have but I assume odor is like I smell gas come check yeah it, yeah there's a lot of those typically than I would have thought yeah so there's you know there's there's places that have um, valves all over the city and the county and if there's and they're a bleed-off valve and so if somebody's driving by the winds just right they might smell something so it can be really any place it just depends on the wind wind speed and direction um, as far as lift assist go uh, this county runs a lot of lift assist which is which uh, one of the main topics that um, 
mobile integrated health is tackling is is lift assist. Thank you. Yep. I think it's a good program. I have a question, Mayor. So you, you pointed out three different apps, I believe, Community View, the Verified Responder Pro, and the Pulse Point. So all three of these are tied to Lawrence um, emergency system. Yeah, so the, so Pulse Point Respond is the primary app. That's the one that is going to alert you to CPR needed. Within that app, you have the community view, which will show you you can different departments that you can follow. So you can follow LDCFM. Okay. Uh, you could follow Baldwin City. Uh, you could follow other departments in in Douglas County that that are subscribers, um, and that's within the Pulse Point Respond app as well. Uh, Verified Responder is another aspect of the Pulse Point Respond app that's that's private. So that's controlled by us. Um, it's a it's a part of the app that is an enhancement. And when we have our responders who want to participate, we get them signed up for that, and that gets them the additional information. Okay, thank you. Okay. Any uh, further questions from the commission? No, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Appreciate it. Very informative. Um, on this, I'll open it up for public comment. I had a quick question. Uh, let's say uh, something goes out and there's nobody within a quarter of a mile. Can you adjust that? So um, sir, can you go ahead and address it to us and we'll go about it. it. But just want to know if we can, if you can adjust that. Okay. So, yeah. Um, just, just wait, and we'll go ahead and get all public comment, and we'll go ahead and rally them all at the end. Any uh, further public comment in the room? All right. Sherry, any online? Stephen Watts. Hi. Yeah. You know, this report, Safe and Secure, I wonder, great presentation, but where are the police report? You know, on September 12, 2023, it was announced that the community response partners to participate in Harvard Kennedy School Government Performance Lab Alternatives 911 Inflammation Cohort was going on, and we haven't heard anything about that. Let's see, September. October, November, December, January, February. That's five months ago. All right. Back to the fire department and all of these slick, mile-wide, inch-deep reports. Uh, it's great that we have that program. Certainly, I may be needing it. I'm old. They say this about old people. But my question for the group is, where are the carbon monoxide detectors and what is going on? You know, on July 20th, 2023, following over four years of efforts from me to the police, to the fire department, asking about where is the community distribution of carbon monoxide detectors, which goes on across the United States. I got a response from chief telling me, hey, it's gonna happen. I never heard from the guy again, and then I contacted him in late November only to learn that there was nothing going on, that they were still in its incubatory stage. Carbon monoxide detectors are critical for our community to stop problems. Why can we not be progressive and prevent stuff before it happens? I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Thanks. 
that's all the public comment. Okay. And Chief, were you able to go ahead and pick up uh, that, the couple of those questions? I guess the first one was uh, yeah. in terms of scope in the area. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we do have it set by the jurisdiction at a quarter mile. I have seen some jurisdictions, uh, particularly in rural areas, that have expanded that. So they, they will run it out a half mile is, is what I've seen, or, or even longer, because if your population <laughs> is pretty slow or pretty low, then people are spread out, and so you need that extra distance. But we've we've set that at a quarter mile here. Okay. Uh, and then I would like to identify uh, that we have launched the public distribution of carbon monoxide detectors. We're um, hooked up with the state fire marshal's office through a program that gets us free carbon monoxide detectors to distribute to the community. Uh, and we revamped our uh, home fire safety policy over the last six months and, and have instituted changes uh, based on feedback that we got from the public and including Mr. Watts. So I do appreciate him reaching out and he's very passionate about that about that uh, issue and, and because of him that's the, you know, provided us with a lot of motivation to move forward and get that done. Uh, we, we have announced that on uh, a couple of posts on Facebook and so we've tried to make that uh, announcement into the public. Thanks, Chief. That's great to hear. Any uh, closing comments on this? No, oh, sir. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Chief, and thank you to all the folks that work in the uh, fire department, and uh, you know, for that update and all your hard work on this this app. Uh, hopefully, it will save a lot of people's lives. All right. Moving on to. Uh, Item G, regular agenda items. Consider approving the raise grant concept for the Lawrence Loop Trail, Caw River, 7th Street to Constant Park Project PR5-B23003 and authorizing the city manager to sign the letter of funding commitment. Thank you all. Good evening, Mayor, Commissioners. I'm Mark Hecker. I'm Assistant Director of Parks and Recreation. Uh, with me tonight to do the help with the presentation, we have Jessica Mordenshire from MPO and Jake Baldwin is our project engineer for this particular project. This is a project I'm pretty excited about. It connects a piece of the Lawrence Loop from 7th Street over to Constant Park. And as you know, if you've been involved with the Lawrence Loop conversation over the years, this is a very difficult portion of that trail loop. So what we're gonna do tonight is kind of take you backwards a little bit, then bring you forwards. We're looking at potential of a raised grant to fund this portion of the trail. It not only connects point A to point B, but it also includes maybe some arts components that maybe make it a little extraordinary project. And that with federal funding, we think we have the ability to really take this to the next level on and make it a really downtown you know, marquee piece. So I'm gonna walk you through this and then these two are gonna tag in on me and I'll step backwards. So just real quick overview, we'll, we'll do a project background, then we'll look at the community engagement we've done to this point. We'll look at the raised grant application, which is basically written, ready to be submitted with your approval, recommendations, and then next steps. So this is where I'm gonna take you backwards a little bit. So this is the total Lawrence loop. I wanted to find for you that we have been very successful. I was counting the, all the segments before I came tonight. We've done 12 segments of this trail as we've went around the city. It started back in 1998 and has progressed through to today. The things we're looking at now, um, if you're wondering, 7th Street, so right 
this summer there'll be a very small project that goes from 8th Street to 7th Street. That gets us to the Santa Fe Station over here. So the next project is go Santa Fe Station. How do we get through downtown, around downtown? What's our route to get to Constant Park to hook to the Bircham Trail down by the river? So that's the project we're working on. On the map here is this little orange section. If we're able to complete that, um, we'll basically be complete from Queens Road all the way out north, all the way around the city up to what would be basically uh, Sandershaw Park. So we're getting close. There's a big segment out northwest, which is a future CIP project. That one isn't as hard to get through. It's a longer piece that will require some, a lot of creek crossings and that sort of stuff. Then there's the little red section there that goes from Michigan Street over to Sanders Shaw. That one's been designed. We're in basically property acquisition stages of that one. So we're getting really, really close, and that's what's exciting about this. You know, I've been working on this for gosh, probably almost 20 years, and seeing this get so close to complete is pretty darn exciting. As we develop these trail sections, we always do the, the same thing. We look at point A to point B, where are we trying to go? We try to identify the routes, and then we try to identify funding sources. A lot of the other sections of the trail has been built with KDOT transportation grants and or Sunflower grants. So this one's the first one that I know of that we've done federal funding on, and that's what's kind of exciting about this project. So to take you back a little bit, this project's been studied for a number of years, so it goes all the way back to 2017, we did an alignment study. So if you look at this little graphic here, this was the postcard that was sent out as part of that alignment study. It identified two sections, and we've made progress on both of those sections, so we were able to get from, you know, this piece here gets from 11th Street, now we're all the way up to 8th Street, so there's a smaller section. This is that other red section we talked about earlier. So the study of this section has been a seven-year process, multiple different public engagement sessions, multiple different groups looked at it. Um, in 2020, we had some folks in the community that basically took this on and said, hey, we think we can come up with some ideas. So they've ran through a lot of just impromptu public conversation about multiple ways to go. What we're doing here with Hireling Bartlett and West, we're able to define the scope, bring the scope down, define something that's that's able to be applied for with this grant application. So I feel like the process has been a good and a long process. In looking at how do we tie the strategic plan, so Connected City talks specifically about trail connectivity. Unmistakable identity, if we can get into the arts piece of this, I think that really ties these two together into this whole project. We, want, we know we want to connect to downtown, we know we want to connect to the river. That to me makes a really interesting connectivity thing that we don't have right now. Right now you can go over the bridges, go over, but you can't really interact with the river. So the, we know the, the Bircham River Trail is one of our most popular trails just because we're running alongside the river. We want to be able to connect from downtown down to that river in a safe manner by getting over the train tracks and, and down to that area. So where we are now, we've basically done a quite a bit of community engagement. We have a concept design ready. We have a raise grant ready. So we're looking for your approval to move it forward. After that, we'll go into, if, if we get the grant, we'll go to final design, construction design, and move the project forward from there. So I'm gonna stop there and turn it over to Jake. Uh, good evening, so as Mark indicated, 
the, the first phase of the work is really uh, geared towards submission of a raised capital grant. Um, that was the recommendation of the city's uh, grant consultant, TFG, um, and that was communicated to our steering committee at their first meeting, and as well as the public at the first open house. Um, RAISE stands for Rebuilding American Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity, and as you can see on the slide, um, really the objective of that program is to uh, produce surface transportation projects with significant impacts that also meet the department's goals of um, improving safety, connectivity, mobility, um, having economic impact, impacting areas of persistent poverty, um, as well as impacting um, climate and sustainability. We also wanted to point out that really the focus of the RAISE program, and, and we've seen this through successful um, communities near us, is in bike and pedestrian infrastructure. Um, so, and the reason I say that is with elections this fall, federal elections, uh, there's the potential that could change. And uh, again, I say that because in the past, um, this program has been known as Tiger or Build, and it had a focus on large highway transportation projects and not the bike and pedestrian infrastructure focus that uh, we've seen recently. We began this process um, last year when the City Commission established a steering committee to pursue planning on this CIP project to really talk about how we're going to connect this section of the loop. The steering committee met and we went through this public process. We're going to talk a little bit more about as we go through this, but you can probably recognize right away that we're on a short timeline, and that's the reality of a raise grant application process that was also moved up um, compared to where it had been in previous years. And so that impacted some of the process that we ended up um, in um, as we went through that process um, with negotiating an agreement with our consultant and beginning the work with the steering committee. Um, the steering committee is made up of stakeholders that represent some diverse stakeholder perspectives in relationship to this project in the community. This, they were guide, they were advised to or to work. To, their mission is to advise and review and provide feedback to the consultants and staff through this pro, and through this process. <clears throat> we began with them at the first. Uh, meeting to really lay out both with the first steering committee and public meeting um, to understand the values and describe the process we hope to embark on on this journey and we engaged the steering committee and then uh, the public in this conversation. It was a very visionary first meeting where it presented the consultants um, big vision from Caw River Commons and uh, many of the design choices that they had been working on as community advocates prior to being hired as our consultant. We asked people to give us feedback about where they thought there were opportunities um, and on elements of the design that they thought could weave in some of the unmistakable identity components that we've previously discussed in the strategic plan interest, but also knowing that this is a unique and special spot for our community. Out of that public feedback, we had about 78 people at the meeting and collected 51 comment forms. Um, and we really heard for about, about these three topics. We heard about the, we heard from the mom with the toddler traversing the bridge and the fear of the railings and concerns of safety. Um, we heard a lot about the increased desire for bicycle and pedestrian safety and removing um, at-grade intersection crossings, particularly the ones right outside of our building. We heard about connectivity and the interest 
interest to connect North Lawrence and the river and access to the river and downtown, including thinking about you know, our, our expanded central business district and how it connects across the parts of the river. Um, we heard about then the identity, and that was a piece that was ingrained into this project, and we asked people how, we thought, how they thought we could make it unmistakable, and they had, we showed them a bunch of examples of other bike pad infrastructure and asked um, you know, for their opinion about different types of unmistakable pieces. And so we heard about how the desire to make it unique to Lawrence, uh, thinking about it as a cycling destination, inclusion of the arts um, in indigenous imagery. We came back to the steering committee um, and we had the results of that summary of comment from Open House um, and we brought that back to the committee and we had a conversation with them to narrow the concepts, um, recognizing that the raised grant had limitations in terms of the, the desires they're looking for in terms of project selection and scoring and also to recognize where are we at in terms of scope and scale of this project. The CIP project was closing the loop, there's additional interest in this area around crossing the call and clearing the railway. In terms of comment, we heard about safety in both of those uh, opportunities and thought it would be a great opportunity to really think about the concepts as they applied in these three different ways. Um, the committee really set as the priority that desire to close the loop, um, but recognizing there's two other components in this project and we talk about them as such. And I'll let Jake walk through those. <clears throat> So uh, again, the, the goal of the second steering committee meeting was to um, narrow the concepts, the myriad of concepts that were presented um, to the steering committee and the public at previous meetings and, and use the feedback we gained from the community um, in that exercise. And that exercise was completed really in a discussion of three parts being close the loop, cross the caw, and clear the rail. So in this first slide of closing the loop, the steering committee looked at a couple different alignments, a street alignment and a river alignment. Um, the street alignment was considered to be less expensive, more connected to downtown. It's also more urban and thus has more conflict points with the vehicles. Whereas the river alignment was considered to be more expensive, less connective to downtown, less urban, but also less of those conflict points. Um, and it also utilizes some completed design plans um, that we've got for a portion of that alignment. Um, the steering committee took all that information in and, and really came to a place where they were supportive of both of these options. So later on in that, in that discussion, we, we kind of brought it into a budgetary discussion as well to see how the, the pieces of the puzzle fit together within uh, the, the ultimate ask of the grant and came to the realization that both of these options could be supported within the financial constraints of the grant. And so that's where the steering committee ended up is supporting um, both of these alignments. Um, the second part of that discussion again was to cross the CAW and the steering committee considered um, four alignments for a bike pedestrian bridge across the, the Kansas River, um, two being upstream and two downstream. Um, the fourth and third street being downstream um, were considered to have a greater neighborhood connectivity. Um, they're in a natural river section. Uh, but also have a limited downtown connectivity. Um, we also noted that that 4th Street crossing is also in, in close proximity to an existing at-grade um, signalized rail crossing on New York Street. Moving upstream of the dam, um, we've got a 2nd Street and a Vermont Street alignment. Um, those were considered to have greater potential for downtown connectivity. Um, they are, however, on a non-natural river section and um, didn't, don't currently provide an ADA-compliant pathway to the neighborhoods in North Lawrence. So uh, staff indicated that if we wanted to go with an upstream option, we'd also want to include uh, that 
ADA compliant connection to the neighborhoods and you see that represented by the, the dashed line and the, the aerial there. Um, uh, last thing to note there is a second street alignment um, was really is underneath the existing bridges so it wasn't terribly desirable and um, that kind of played in our discussion. Um, making some generalizations about that discussion. There was a, a lot of support to not have a bridge at this time uh, downstream uh, because of the undesirable effect it have on the natural river aesthetic. Um, the other generalizations were th thinking upstream of the Vermont in particular, that alignment. It, it provided uh, greater access to uh, destinations uh, in downtown area, uh, such as the pool, the library, post office, and city hall. Um, and then through that discussion, the steering committee at that time, again, unanimously supported the Vermont Street alignment. However, as we go on in the discussion, you'll see that that unanimous support did change. And we'll, we'll note that. And then the last third piece of uh, the exercise was how to clear the rail. So again, we were looking at um, the steering committee to provide guidance on where to do an, a grade separated crossing of the railroad, um, noting that there's already again that existing crossing on New York Street that is at grade and signalized. So we, we really focused on the two areas of Robinson Park and Constant Park. Uh, both areas really offer uh, kind of the same benefits and uh, neg positives and negatives, I should say. However, um, Constant Park really got a little bit more support, and I think that's mainly because uh, the, the physical space is there offers a greater flexibility in design and options and, and how to achieve uh, the goal of this part of the project. Um, so again, at the end of the meeting, these were the concepts that were uh, narrowed down by the steering committee. Two options to close the loop, the, the street and river alignment. One option to cross the call on Vermont Street, and the uh, concept of clearing the rail there at the uh, neighborhood of, or neighborhood um, the at constant park pardon me um, however we did receive new information after that second steering committee meeting um, and, and staff met with representatives of uh, Bowersock Mills and Power Company, they're on site to review the, the conflict that was brought up, and you kind of can see that in the, the picture on the right-hand side. So that's the general vicinity that uh, the concept would put a bike and pedestrian bridge over the dam underneath the highway bridges and land at Constant Park. Um, but however, because of the, the, the tower and cable and trolley system um, that are utilized in the operations of the dam in terms of the bladder and other, other um, components, it, it really is a kind of a, a physical conflict that we, we felt wouldn't be overcome by uh, what we had proposed. So um, you'll see down in the, in the left picture, the area of red um, was removed from the narrowed concepts uh, as being unfeasible. Um, we communicated this information to the steering committee and uh, promised to uh, bring that discussion back up at the next meeting uh, to answer any questions they might have. And we also um, indicated that we wanted to bring these concepts still to the public at the planned public meeting to get the feedback on these other viable concepts. So we go into um, open house number two, um, and we went back with these revised concepts. And um, we that has the steering committee's recommendation minus the part that we had to remove. Um, that's what we ended up presenting to the public. Um, in a perfect world, maybe you would have had more time to go back and do another steering committee meeting before you went out, but we found this out like five days before the steering committee meeting, so we weren't able to do that. We're in this open house too. 
Um, and we had four, about 45 participants at the meeting and we did also six hours of tabling at the Lawrence Public Library in the lobby to inform people of the project. Um, and we had, we collected 78 comment forms on the project. Again, we really framed the feedback that we received around these three topic areas, recognizing that we're now in an alignment with a street only path. We focused back on safety and the desire to address the crossings and the conflict points in the street options. So we heard mention of crosswalks and other improvements that they're hoping for in terms of the uh, more urban alignment that was going to be selected to close the loop. Um, we heard a lot again about the north, the conviction and the interest in the North Lawrence connection. And here we saw a lot of vital differences. Um, in general, there was still a lot of general support for the project, um, but there were differences in the preferred alignment at this point um, based on a 4th Street Bridge or a Vermont Street Bridge is what we heard of. We even had some proposals for completely um, um, differently scoped projects um, and alternative routes that went outside of the project study, study area where we're looking at closing the loop. Again, we asked people about um, how the identity is and things that they wanted us to consider as we think about design in a future project. And there really is a desire to think about um, highly visible and attractive and safe um, infrastructure that can identify us as part of our um, bicycle and pedestrian culture. We then went back to the steering committee um, and again took them the results of the second open house summary that we had and all of the com comments and feedback that we had. And we went back and had this discussion to share with them the river alignment and the summary of feedback. At this point, you, they had a lot of uh, questions and concerns in the process about where we were and what options we had um, to proceed and move forward. Um, and at, at the end of the meeting and the conversation, they resulted in a decision of seven to two um, to recommend the narrowed concepts. Um, they knew that their recommendation was being forwarded to the Multimodal uh, Transportation Commission. We again um, went back um, to that conversation February 5th, um, really recently, with the Multimodal Transportation Commission where we presented the recommended narrowed concepts and received a 3-2 um, decision from them to support submission of the raise grant for the proposed um, components. We believe this project um, is compelling and competitive to the raise process. Each of these elements are consistent and supported in the Metropolitan Planning Organization's adopted transportation plans, so bicycle, pedestrian, safe routes to school plans, and they support uh, elements that are consistent with the strategic goals. We believe that they uh, speak well and score well in cost-benefit analysis because they do remove connections um, for bike ped that maybe are currently being made at street grade um, that can then be put in separated facilities. Um, they tie together two parts of our central business district. This project is located in an area in our community that's impacted with persistent poverty according to the um, raise grant criteria and the hope in this project and with lots of bicycle and pedestrian project is the impact that it has to attract users um, to reduce vehicle miles traveled and those are consistent with many of the goals that we talk about in our strategic plan as well. And I can be real brief on this slide. It's really just a representation of the individual cost estimates of the pieces of the narrowed um, concept. So added all together, you've got a total ask in the grant of $20.7 million, which is underneath the maximum ask in the grant of $25 million. 
just a little bit of a summary slide so you can see the various public engagements we had and, and how we walked through the process. The next step is speaking with city commission. Uh, our goal is to submit the raise grant by the end of the month, so we're on a pretty tight timeline. But with that, I would stand for any questions that any of us could help you with. Or... All right, at this time I'll open it up for questions. I have a question. Um, you said that you talked about the crossings um, meeting all of our bike ped um, plans, our multimodal plans. This particular um, drawing that the last one that we saw, do the other locations also meet those various plans that we have? I think in terms of all of the stuff that was proposed, whether it was the 4th Street Crossing or the Vermont Crossing, we would say that was consistent with the plans in terms of the element for the crossing as well as completing the loop. There are many sections, I think, that have been in plans over the years to, to do that. I think part of the part where we thought didn't meet the intention of the plan is at the second public meeting there was a community proposed alternative route that would have paved the levee, would have built a bridge and paved the levee all the way out to I-70 and built another bridge and that's something that would not have been supported by the plans. Just pavement at all way to I-70 or just any pavement at all? Well, we have nothing in our plans to talk about paving the levee at all, and we okay. do not have another river bridge crossing at I-70. So there would have been other elements. The loop has never been planned in that context. It has always been planned as a smaller connection in terms of the context of where we've been looking at in terms of scoping this project. So that would have been way outside of the scope. It would have negated the two projects we've more recently done around um, you know, some of the Sandra Shaw and the McGrew Nature Trail components that became part of the loop, I think, those would now be like a loop within the loop. Um, they, they, you know, we've spent a lot of additional money and resources in that space, prioritizing what it is called the priority bikeway network in the bikeway plan, and those are components are outside of that. Okay. But the locations that were shown earlier in the slides, there were three or four or five different locations. I didn't see it going to I-70 at all. Uh no, and I think I was just trying to say like there was other stuff mentioned in the process that people spoke to in the public comments. So if you read additional, I didn't mean to confuse the issue, but if you read additional comment or saw the results of the feedback, people were still looking outside of even the scope we were talking about. But I think as far as the bikeway plan is concerned, any of those alignments that we were talking about to make those connections, we would consider in context with the bicycle and pedestrian plans. Okay, thank you. And one more. Just one more question. Jake, you had indicated that the downstream, one of the downstream stream locations, proposed locations early on, w w one of the reasons not to do it there was that it would negatively impact the natural aesthetics of the river or something like that? I might have got that wrong. Yes, that was the discussion of the steering committee. I think, I think it was more of a maybe a viewpoint from upstream looking downstream on that natural river section and seeing a pedestrian bridge and that just wasn't desirable. Okay, but the upstream one that's being proposed here is it does not impact the aesthetic of the river. It's hard for me to, to speak, I guess, from what the steering committee was was trying to convey in that thought. But I, I think, I mean, from, from that location, you're obviously, if you're looking downstream, you're gonna see the existing highway bridges, but you would not see another bridge down in the natural river section. 
I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, it, it just I couldn't understand why one way would be aesthetically not pleasing versus the other way. So let's go back to when, I mean, these concepts as we were talking about crossing the call with the committee, we, we presented these ideas in terms of high level concepts to think about in terms of neighborhood connectivity or uh, commercial business connectivity or all of these different options. And um, the committee vetted all of those and there was after that second steering committee, they they landed on a Vermont Street option very clearly to us. There was no dissent or like conversation about can we take two bridges to the public and see which one they prefer. It was very much in consensus around submitting the Vermont Street Bridge as the proposal. And that was, we, we presented this and that was the conversation. And so um, it was surprising to us that after the additional feedback from the next series of open houses that there was um, a, a changing of opinion in regards to that because it was very, um, there was nobody who spoke against proposing the Vermont Street alignment at the second steering committee. But at the third one, the vote yes. was 7-2. Yes. So there was some dissent. They're correct. That happened between the conversations of the change that had to be made public meeting and the sentiment that was collected in terms of from the thinking about it from the North Lawrence neighborhood connectivity I think and that made people probably just enlightened them more about the differing perspectives and values that people had around thinking which alignment would be a better for their personal interest in that process okay and one more question um, the final plan that you're proposing I see a dotted line going or a dashed line going across 6th Street. Uh, you are, so you're expecting bicyclists and whoever's walking to, to get downtown to cross 6th Street at that very busy intersection. Yeah, what we're trying to do there is get to one of the signalized crosswalks. So you, you know that area is very congested in there. But yeah, the idea is to get across 6th Street to get to the pool, to get to the park, get to downtown. So that was the concept. You could also cross, if you if you chose to, you could cross more over by City Hall and cross into downtown if that's where you're going. It's kind of hard to get a concept of where people are coming from and where they're going to on this, but we wanted to provide opportunities that got you close to downtown. So depending on which street you want to jump off, you know, if you wanted to continue down 7th Street, you could, as opposed to kind of heading towards the river. But Okay. But it does, it, you know, the, the safety aspect is what I'm thinking about. Is there, uh, was there ever any consideration to do a bridge, a walking bridge across there? That was one of the early concepts to do a, a flyover 6th Street. That was kind of eliminated early just because of the expense of it. Yeah. And it, basically all it did was fly over 6th Street. So it, it was a, I remember it was a purple series of purple lines going over 6th Street, which I kind of like, but yeah. others didn't. Okay. Thank you. That's it. Um, I, question, I mean, obviously the river path was a popular path mm -hmm. and I guess it seems like to me almost anything can be solved with money. I mean, if, <laughs> if there was 21 to 24 million, couldn't you consider moving the trolley or consider a way to get rid of that? problem point and complete the river path? I think that's certainly a conversation. Um, when we when we talked with the Bowersox folks, they, they said that was a, an integral part of their operation. So we didn't push it beyond that point as to if there was other options. I'm, I, I know there's potential to do it somehow, but I don't know what the cost would be. 
Um, I don't know what the raise application itself looks like. I mean, if you if you put could could you put the river completion in there and then you know if it later becomes unfeasible, you couldn't do it, or how does that I guess how does process work? So you're talking about the the flying over the dam one? Yes. Okay. Um, Jessica, do you know on the grant? itself if we can present options that may or may not be feasible so i can't necessarily speak to that exactly but i think the more speculation you have in the grant you have to prove to the federal government that you have a reasonable assumption that you can complete complete the projects that you're proposing to do um, and in the nature of a capital grant that means that you are on the process to, to doing that. I think the more speculation that you create in your grant, the more questions you create. Sure. So the bigger challenge is the other part of that and is it impacts the cost benefit analysis. So the higher the project costs go up and the difference in the benefit, if the benefit is not also even raised, then you have a less desirable cost benefit analysis that impacts the project. So those are just two variables that I think we continued to think about as we were thinking about how do we make a competitive grant selection in that process. I think um, I wasn't involved in all the in all the conversations with property owners and I don't so I don't know what happened there besides to decide that it wasn't viable to move forward and we continue to try to make the best decisions as we progressed in this process. Does that answer I mean um, I guess I'll leave it now there for the questions, but um, obviously there's been a lot of discussion at multimodal about um, switching to a planning grant instead of a actual grant, and I wasn't quite sure on the answers I saw at multimodal, but tell us about the possibility there. Yeah. Um, Staff does not believe at this point in the process pivoting to a planning grant is feasible. Our contract with Bartlett and West explicitly states that the scope of work is for a raised capital grant. And so it would be unusual of us to re-amend that in that agreement and change the course of work that we've negotiated um, in the t short time frame that we have, recognizing that the first contract negotiations took almost two months for us to come to terms with that. So we didn't feel like that was a viable option. Additionally, when we began this process um, of scoping the loop project for the CIP, um, the staff team spoke with the grant consultants, TFG, our previous grant consultants, and they advised us based when we described the project to them and where we had been in the project history, they advised us they didn't think it would compete very well as a planning grant and that they thought if we, based on the desired in terms of timeline also for construction and the goals to complete the loop, that not that instead pursuing local planning efforts like the one we have just done and spent money on and with a public process then could be put us in a situation to apply for a construction grant to actually build something. We feel like that public process, you know, we realize there's other adjacent areas that have interest in terms of the relationship and proximity to this loop grant, but we're not sure really about how additional capacity in terms of exploring other development or other interests in terms of timing of other downtown projects and other things. Um, some of that goes beyond the nature of RAISE, and so we're not sure because that was never in the, 
included in the scope of what the original project is and what got agreed to in terms of the contract negotiations. So at our, at our point in the last few weeks, knowing we are already so in the process to review and get feedback back for the actual submission of a construction grant, we did not feel like it's a viable option to renegotiate and to pursue a planning grant. Okay. No other questions at the moment? Yeah, I'm good for now. If you want to go. I'm, yeah, I'm going to jump in real quick. Um, just one tag along to that. I, I noticed uh, another thing that might have been brought up was in its current alignment, um, the Vermont Street one, it was near the uh, Evergy facility. Um, I wonder if any talks had begun with them regarding that or any plan to? Yeah, we've met with Evergy to discuss the, the feasibility of the project. Um, obviously, at a concept level, we don't know a lot of the details, but in that conversation, uh, we did work out that the project was feasible in, in their eyes for what we were trying to achieve. Okay. Okay, one more question for you. So, um, the uh, I watched the steering committee and the multimodal, and I can't remember which meeting it was spoken at. I want to go back to the concrete situation, and it seemed to me I remember staff saying that one of the one of the reasons we couldn't do the down gradient was because we can't pave the levee. And afterwards, I got to thinking. I said, "Well, uh, to myself, I was thinking, well, you're going to have to pave something on the west side too. So, so can you?" Explain to me a little yes. bit better. And that was an erroneous statement that I made at that meeting based on guidance and feedback I had had from talking to internal staff, knowing that the requirements to pave the levee have a lot more heightened process um, and requirements about um, maintenance and other considerations. And so in relation to, yes, there will need to be a process to pave the levee for the part of getting ADA access back to a street network, particularly on the North Lawrence side of the levee. And how we do that hadn't been worked out yet in the fourth street alignment because we just began to show that in the Vermont street alignment as part of the realization from a lot of the really conceptual stuff you get down and you start to look in you as you get into design into the nuts and bolts of costing stuff so yes that was an erroneous statement based on feedback and, and guidance I'd heard I've also you know in our bikeway plane we've never we've always shown that as a crushed gravel trail and so that's never something that's been in our plans to pave a larger section of the levee as we talk about it and I said that in context to the part speaking about from the Vermont Street Bridge all the way out to I-70, that that's never been part of our priority or part of our bikeway planning. Okay. So I, I just wonder if, I think it was a steering committee that, that was said, I think. I wonder if there would have been a, potentially a different outcome if, if the steering committee knew that, no, that can be paved, because that was given a reason as to why that location was not appropriate. So I'm a little, little, yeah, and I don't, I think in relationship to the 4th Street Bridge, if we're just talking about the River Bridge being instead of at Vermont at 4th Street, I think the question back to us was, well, how do you make that ADA connection back to the network? And I think even our consultant got up and spoke at that point and just mentioned that we hadn't done that due diligence and work because they had chosen Vermont Street alignment, so we didn't proceed to go back and assess where the connectivity and how that would be done back to the ADA, back to the street network. Um, I hope we didn't imply ever that we would leave a bridge connection without ADA. 
ADA access. That was one of our early conversations in that regard is that we will need to pave something to get back to a street network for connectivity. So you're right, there's a lot of points of information at different points in the process or when we had information and how it was presented that impacted the outcome of this process. Um, and maybe it would have been different, maybe not, um, but it's hard to speculate at this yeah. point in time. I get it. Yep, I get that. Thank you. And uh, just to clarify, um, if you can repeat, uh, after that second steering committee meeting, the Vermont Street Bridge was, what was the vote on that? Or what was They didn't the take an official vote, okay. um, but there was nobody who said, still the fourth street option. They had a conversation and there was general unanimous agreement that the Vermont street option was the selected option. There was not one, we've had this conversation as staff later, did anybody have any comments that should have led us to a place where we took two bridge alignments to the public to ask their preference because we would have set ourselves up in that way if that's what we would have thought the steering committee was moving towards. No one at that point in time was recommending a fourth street alignment so we did not continue to pursue that based on the advice and feedback from that group. Okay. Thank you. Any further questions? No. Time. Okay. I will open this up to uh, public. Thank you all. Public comment. Here, can we take uh, Good oh, evening. I, I apologize. Uh, I think we uh, need Just to a take one. a quick break. Sure. <laughs> so if you can hold out for about 10 minutes. <coughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I'll take a quick break. We'll be back at 726. We all good? Yes, sir. Okay. I'll bring us back. Um, and I uh, believe we left off with public comment. So, all right. Thank you, sir. Good evening. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a written statement uh, that I prepared earlier. Uh, my name is Jared Gobb, and I live in the Deerfield neighborhood. I am co-founder of the Sunday Chug, a weekly cycling group ride, uh, cy I'm sorry, a weekly cycling group ride in Lawrence. 700 area cyclists subscribe to our ride announcements and have access to our library of over 200 unique cycling routes which all begin and end downtown. I have watched the meetings preceding this one on the topic of this proposed design. I attended the public info session on this design. I submitted feedback and suggestions on the alignments. Now, I urge you to deny the Ray's grant concept for the Lawrence Loop Trail Caw River 7th Street to Constant Park project as it is presented to you. The design process lacked critical site studies failed to engage with impacted parties, and was dismissive of public suggestions, citing an approaching deadline. Justification for the chosen alignment was based on inaccurate information and assumptions, and failed to consider broader implications of the design, which ultimately, in my opinion, do not meet grant criteria. The proposed alignments in this project design fall short of meaningfully serving anyone. 
a pedestrian bridge at the same location as another bridge that allows for pedestrian traffic is redundant. The surface path through downtown creates more dangerous situations than it solves and should not be adopted as a legitimate solution for completing the loop. I fear that if this is approved tonight and somehow is awarded funding from the grant, the city will be obligated to build according to this alignment and be stuck with decades of maintenance and repair costs with no meaningful return. The process leading up to this point and insufficient study has failed to generate a design for our community that has real positive impact. This grant is not the last opportunity for Lawrence to build great cycling uh, and pedestrian infrastructure. Direct the appropriate groups to open this back up to study and find other sources for funding. I see it much harder to gain public support for future projects if the city decides to waste $20.7 million on this. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Ted Boyle, North Lawrence Improvement Association. I'd like to say that uh, last night was our NLIA meeting, neighborhood meeting, and the topic of discussion was this uh, pedestrian bridge. Now, about uh, Oh, hell, it's been eight or nine years ago. I saw the first rendering of a pedestrian bridge right in this building downstairs. And when the stormwater engineer used to be down there, and it was over here on uh, coming off the uh, parking lot of the east end of the Marriott and uh, connecting over to Walnut Park levee over there and that was a rendering and at the bottom of the page it said no funding available and until 2024 and so we've been talking about it over north lawrence and uh, you know we thought that was a positive move well then these other ideas came up um, from these retired architects on this catastrophic uh, mistake that they're looking at especially the first three uh, renderings and then this last one and uh, for the money uh, it's uh, it's just not worth the money and it doesn't benefit North Lawrence in any way it's just a it's just a showpiece uh, somebody can brag about and what we think at our meeting last night we had posted three options one the proposed pedestrian bridge west of the existing bridge, modifying the existing bridges, and then downstream. And, you know, downstream, there used to be railroad bridge go across from this side of the river about the Amtrak over to 4th Street. Uh, the pilings used to be still in the river. So there used to be a bridge right there. And it was converted into a railroad and wagon and pedestrian at the time. So what we talked about last night, we gave the group options of which ones they would prefer. And uh, either modifying the bridge here, which would be putting cantilevers on the sides of the bridge to make the pedestrian walkway wider and bicycle uh, efficient, plus covering it with a canopy, especially on the traffic side, and then on the river side, 
have open screening uh, for view of the river because the view of the river from the bridge is pretty darn spectacular. And, you know, you see a lot of people up there photographing and taking pictures and that type of deal. And the cost for doing that would be probably half, if not more, less than this proposed menstruality that they want to build. So, uh, anyway... We hope you reject this plan. I'm sorry I did not rehearse for this or <laughs> write a speech ahead of time. Uh, I just jotted down some notes to give you my uh, impressions of what I witnessed with this proposal. <clears throat> it kind of looks like an equation. It's like 2 plus 2 is supposed to equal 5. Uh, from what I, the proposal that you have here, it, it looks more like a boondoggle than anything because most of the people in North Lawrence live east of the dam, not west of the dam. So it doesn't make any sense to put it over there. Uh, to me, it makes a lot more sense to put it uh, east of the dam. Um, east of the dam, you got parking, as you know over there between 2nd and 3rd Street. And um, if you stand on the levee and look over, and I think this goes along with what Ted was talking about, you can see a straight path right over the river to the causeway that comes out here by where the municipal court is on the east side of that Marriott Hotel. It's on, you're on grade, you don't have any Changing elevation, you're ADA compliant. If you could build a bridge that went from 3rd Street through that causeway and out to the corner of 6th and New Hampshire, to me that seems like that would be a marquee, very identifying feature of downtown Lawrence. Uh, if not that, really any bridge east of the dam would uh, be a, more of a service to the residents of North Lawrence than something to the west of the dam. I suppose if you have a bridge west of the dam, people are still just going to use the current uh, cement bridge that we have now, which I don't know how many of you, I imagine a lot of you have probably walked it, but it's not comfortable, uh, especially when the traffic's heavy and the snow and the dirt and the grits flying up at your face as traffic goes by. But um, I would like to see a bridge from North Lawrence to downtown. Uh, I've lived here for over 20 years and thinking, well, now I'm retired. I thought by the time I'd be retired, there'd be one. And um, there isn't. But hopefully there will be one before I die of old age. Um, so yes, I would, I would just turn down this grant application and, and go back to the drawing board and hope Biden gets reelected so he'll have grant money to, you know, apply for later on. Thank you very much. Oh, and uh, go bold. Go LFK. <laughs> Uh, good evening. Uh, my name is Will Schultz. Um, I'm a KU student. Um, I've lived in Lawrence my entire life, 21 long years. Um, 
I've worked at Sunflower Outdoor and Bike Shops since I was 15 years old. Um, I started the Free State High School Cycling Club, um, was instrumental in helping start the high school cycling league in, in the state of Kansas. Um, I just hope um, tonight that you guys uh, consider denying this proposal. Um, I can assure you that the current bridge that would be placed west of the current one would not serve anyone, um, as Jared um, and your gentleman over there previously stated. Um, a bridge going over 4th Street or a bridge um, paralleling I-70 um, from north of the hospital um, to North Lawrence would serve a wider range of people. Um, and I just hope you guys um, consider that. Thank you. Uh, good evening, my name is Nate Clark. I live over in North Lawrence. I've been biking between North Lawrence and downtown for almost 10 years. Um, I served up here in the BZA for seven years. And um, last year, the North Lawrence Improvement Association asked me to serve on the steering committee for this closing section of the loop. So I'm speaking to you a little bit as someone who's been in these processes for the last uh, four months, but also as a private citizen. Um, so a, a few comments that I'd like to make. One is around the timing of this. I agree that the timing, people have been talking about this for many years. Uh, it's been a dream in my heart for a while. Uh, the steering committee was established last summer. Uh, our committee meetings did not start until just um, later in the year. I believe our first one is in November. And our second one was in January, and our third one was just a few weeks ago. Um, and so while it has been in process for a long time, there's been a lot of rush, uh, and it was between that second and third committee that there was a pretty significant change that uh, we were forced to reconcile during that third meeting. Um, as far as safety of the proposed plan, uh, without the river alignment option, the um, the current plan for the closing of the loop, I, in my opinion, is no different than what the loop is right now. Uh, People will still be required to navigate downtown. Uh, they'll be required to go through kind of a city spick ape, deal with crossings, deal with public streets, deal with cars right there. And that does not align with my mental model of the rest of the loop. Um, I think about out there by Clinton Lake where there's just miles of straight, clear access, no cars, nobody kind of coming in behind you um, on, on any of that stuff. And so from a safety perspective, I don't view the, the view of the city alignment as a closing of the loop. Um, and similar to public comment earlier, uh, the idea of this being an unmistakable Lawrence, uh, a compelling and competitive design bid, uh, the, a third pedestrian bridge just a stone's throw away from existing two other pedestrian bridges, and the second promenade just a stone's throw away from an existing promenade. Um, so. Uh, as far as some interesting comments around the approval recommendations from the steering committee and the multimodal transportation committee, um, after the second steering committee, our unanimous decision during the second one was based on the totality of the selected alignments. Uh, we elected those because um, they were all there and there together. And that later changed when the river alignment was broken in half. Um, the seven of the two steering committee, uh, my general take on the vibe in the room was time is short. We don't want to miss out on the money opportunity. Uh, and because of the direction from the staff, we were forced to make a quick decision without change. 
Um, in regards to the three to two vote of the Multimodal Transportation Committee, um, I will defer to Commissioner Reza's comment, which is available um, on that transcript or public uh, comment, which you said like, I am supporting this today because I sat on that committee. Next week, if this goes through, I will testify as a private citizen against this. Um, and so I am recommending that you do not approve this and you deny the raise grant. Good evening, Commission. My name is Chris Tilden. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, first, I want to recognize that Parks and Rec, the MPO, MSO have done a tremendous amount of work over the years to advance our trail system, and they certainly need to be commended for their work. Uh, this was a process that unfortunately ended up being rushed. Um, I was um, on the steering committee representing Livewell Douglas County. Um, I'm speaking as a private citizen this evening. Um, while there was a seven to two vote, there were actually five of us that evening, including the two who voted against and three who voted for, because as Nate said, we felt the need, we want to move forward. I mean, I'm the, I want to see us submit something for uh, a raise grant opportunity, uh, voted for, but three of us that voted for that evening said an Eastern alignment is much preferable because the package in totality had been changed significantly. Uh, there were 17 pages of public comment that were provided to us the day before the steering committee. I'm guessing that not all nine members of the steering committee had an opportunity to read through those comments. Those have been characterized in many places, including the journal world is mostly positive, but my, if you look through those, there, there are a lot of comments suggesting there were concerns, particularly about the bridge alignment. Um, I do want to comment on the, the planning versus the raise grant. I, I can't say you know, what is feasible at this point, but my interpretation of what I heard from Scott Cormerick, uh, Bartlett and West, who is heading up the team, is that pivoting to a planning grant is a feasible option and gosh i would have been the first one at the end of steering committee two saying you know we're all on the same page we voted it uh unanimously to move forward you know by steering committee three um i you know i had concerns i think there are still uh, concerns about what is the optimal alignment if we submit a capital grant and it's approved like we're we're faced with construction of an alignment that I think there's still some uncertainty about. So, um, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, it ended up being a rush process. That's not entirely the fault of staff or probably even, you know, the, the federal grant submission was actually moved up. Um, you know, the, there was new information found in advance of the steering committee by a week or so. Um, and as such, um, I'd love to have discussion about the potential of submitting a planning grant rather than the capital improvement grant. Thank you, appreciate it.
Good evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. My name is Sarah Hill Nelson, and I um, was an original founder of Friends of Lawrence Area Trails, and I'm also a property owner in the vicinity of the proposed project. And if you take one thing away from what I have to say tonight, I hope it's you walk away with the thought that we can do better as a community. I think the potential for the river as a connector and an attraction is significant, and an opportunity like that should be leveraged wisely. So I think a raised planning grant, which I also am under the understanding from multiple sources, we still have the opportunity to pivot to a raised planning grant, would allow us to consider the full range of options and conduct a process that is collaborative and reflects what is actually attainable. So why do we need a planning grant? Uh, I think it's important to acknowledge that the current many pieces of the current proposal are not viable as they stand today. And if you look at the map, which we don't have available, I don't know if anyone can throw the map up, but the downstream path was described by the contractor as shovel ready. However, as a neighbor there, I was involved in getting approval for that downstream path, and I can tell you that the neighbors whose approval is required for that downstream path, which is still on the application, have refused to approve that. So that section of the grant actually is not shovel ready and it can and should not be support, pardon me, submitted for approval because the property owners have not agreed. The second part is the portion of the project wrapping around the Evergy substation. Um, I know as a person that's involved in energy infrastructure that you have to have significant setbacks for any kind of transmission like that. I did hear Jake Baldwin say he didn't see that that would be a significant impact, but if you look at the drawings, it's really important to notice how close those paths go to that substation. And if you spend any time boots on the ground in that substation area, you realize that's a very complex problem that they're trying to solve there. Any changes they make are going to have to be significant, and the public will have not had the opportunity to vet any of those changes. Finally, um, the bridge, and this was already brought up by the community, but the bridge does land on the levee, and the steering committee was advised, when you, if you watch the steering committee, there were many people that were leaning towards the Fourth Street alignment, and they were advised by city staff that that alignment was not possible because the levee could not have concrete on it. We now know that that, in fact, is not accurate, but unfortunately for steering committee members who were advised in that meeting, they then had to pivot because they were advised that wasn't an option, so they then pivoted to the upstream based on information that was not accurate. So how did we get here? I would say I'm concerned about the lack of consultation. Uh, Bowersock expressed early and often that that option was not an, that alignment option was not possible, and um, I don't don't understand why that wasn't communicated. Spring Hill Suites wasn't consulted. Simons weren't consulted. Abe and Jake's wasn't consulted. Evergy wasn't consulted. KU Rowing, and the North Lawrence. I hope we can do better. Thank you. <coughs> Hello, Courtney Shipley. Um, I'm excited to agree with Sarah Hill Nelson. Um, I think the planning grant would be um, doable at this time. I think the best person to ask about that would be Bartlett and West. Many of you know it hurts my heart to disagree with staff, uh, but I feel that answer asking Bartlett and West specifically if they can pivot to a planning grant at this time, uh, you would get um, a favorable answer. Um, in addition, I think that would clarify a lot of the concerns of the community, and I definitely think there, need, there are some serious questions about who owns what. Uh, the land, as far as I know, of all those properties belongs to the 
city. The buildings may not, but the city owns the land. And many of those uh, agreements have not been seen uh, in many, many years, and by some of you, never at all. So a planning grant would give us the opportunity to, to unwind all of that. And uh, as Sir Hill Nelson remarked, speak with the, the uh, uh, interest holders uh, at, at a different level and make sure that the community sees these agreements in the light of day and understand what belongs to uh, the taxpayer. So I, I, I again encourage you to speak with or ask directly Bartlett and West whether they can make this pivot to a planning grant, which again I believe would answer many of these com community concerns. Thank you. <coughs> Hi, my name is Stephanie Magnuson. I'll try to keep this short. Um, I've only spoken once here before, but um, I came here tonight not even knowing the topic, but I am a, I agree with, uh, I, I really think it's important for you guys to, I came here with a different topic on my mind, and I'm not even going to, it's not about me. Okay, these, they want a bridge. Uh, please, you guys have given so much to the homeless, and I'm homeless, okay? Please don't give to the homeless anymore. Like, okay, like, because I'm homeless and I, I, I'm moving away from here because I'm not going to get, say less, Stephanie, you know, I get nervous, you know, like, I, I literally had nowhere else to go tonight and it's this last minute thing. Everybody that spoke tonight, I've listened, I've been respectful and I, I'm angry and I'm hurt and I, I'm, you know, I'm sleeping in abandoned shit. It's not about me, okay? These people work hard, they lived here, they want a bridge. Like, please give it to them. Because all the money you're putting into giving these people at the homeless shelter raises, and, um, you know, I'm not, I have Burt Nash worker, you know, but I, I'm tired of repeating myself. Nothing's getting done about it. You know, like, you know, I've got, it's miscommunication, like what she was saying. I'll keep this short. The communication, communication is a key foundation, even in a relationship, friendship, whatever. Make that here too. Like it's not, I can't fix the world. I'm telling you, there's messed up stuff. And with this homeless, people, I heard people come here to be homeless. That's my, like, and it's true. I, I'm tired. Of, I'm sorry to say, some people deserve to be homeless, okay? Please quit giving to the homeless. I'm homeless myself, okay? Like, hey, quit the free handouts, keep to a minimum, and take care of the people that are hardworking citizens, like my parents, that I'm a burden to, because they have to keep helping me and I keep getting robbed, okay? And I'm sorry, it's very, you know, like, it took a lot of courage for me to say that, Sam. I'm not trying to get mad. But, yeah, anyways, um, but, I mean, give them the bridge. Okay, like, I don't know a lot about the government. I, um, I'm on enough Wi-Fi all the time because my phone cards get stolen. And I lose jobs all the time because I have a place that's shelter and then I don't because of a sexual assault gone wrong. And I don't know, they miscommunicate. I can get back in, then I can't. It's communication is a key foundation. That's all I gotta say. And, it, you know, like, you know, I'm gonna have an anxiety attack right now, but thank you. Um, just, I mean, <laughs> That guy that spoke about the bridge, he's been saying he was living here for 20 years. He wanting that bridge? Come on, like, <laughs> don't give it to. Forgive me for saying this, river rats that are living on the, you know, quit letting them put tents there and stuff. Okay, thank you. Thank you.
Any additional public comment here in the room? All right, Sherry, any on Zoom? Uh, I don't see any on Zoom. All right. I'll bring it back to us for discussion and open it up. a question for the young man that started the high school cycling group. You mind standing for a couple of, or at least a question? So there was something you said in particular, you didn't really go into detail, but I, I would be interested in knowing since I would consider you to be far more of a subject matter expert than myself. Okay. But you said that the current narrow concept would not be utilized. Can you explain to me why it wouldn't be utilized? Are you saying that the proposed bridge would not right. be utilized? I mean, there already is two paths across the river. Um, I even like to look at like the spiral um, path. Um, why would you take the time, if you were, especially if you were walking, to walk like three or four loops up to the top of this bridge when you could just walk on the sidewalk across the bridge? Um, I understand that. Um, as a cyclist, um, it's, I guess it's okay if you're trying to go west on the levee, um, but almost 80% of the time I'm going east on the levee, and I think most people do as well. So, um, as a cyclist and someone who'd be walking across the bridge, I don't understand why you would, why you would use the path. Um, it would also spit you out way west, um, on the levee, um, as you can see in the photo. Um... So I think, I mean, if you want to keep the bridge where it is, um, you know, adding a covered section to it um, with its own wider dedicated path that um, you could block, you know, I think someone mentioned like the sand and the gravel and stuff coming from the cars. Um, I would, you know, put a divider wall like there is on the, uh, on the path by the Baker wetlands, something like that, um, covered so people could walk across without getting rained on. Um, something like that. So, but I think that having a bridge just directly uh, west of it wouldn't really affect anybody. Um, so, you opinion. feel like some of the design elements for at least the downtown piece might be more appreciated for maybe leisure riders, but recreational riders, I might even be saying recreational, more leisurely folks like myself who will ride. Yeah. I'm not going to do, you know, any. Or competition anytime soon. Right. And it's um, like, yeah. Never say never, but. Um, for sure. But I mean, at least that design element for a more competitive rider may be more of a deterrent than anything. Well, I mean, even it's like, it's like if you're riding or walking to your job mm -hmm. in North Lawrence or downtown, a lot of people work downtown. Um, it's like, why would you take the extra time to go? through the spiral all the way over west on the levee when you could just walk across the bridge. Okay. Like, to me, it doesn't make any sense. So, um. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, I have a couple of questions about the process, the um, application process. I know there are several rounds of the planning as well as for the, um, for the capital and then for the planning. Do we know how many round, I know that in the, in the, BI, the bipartisan infrastructure law, there's conversation around several rounds and 
I know we don't know what's going to the future can hold for this. Where are we at? Where is transportation at as far as those rounds? And so, do you know why they moved it up? Why are, why are we why did they move up the at least this round of of grant funding? And then my second question is going to be: Is there any community that received a planning grant that also received a capital grant? Um, I know they have committed funds for multiple more years of the project, but then they put out the NOFO, which has the specific criteria for what type of projects that they want to fund. And you have to wait for that NOFO, <coughs> for the NOFO. right? Um, that notice of funding opportunity to be able to pro project how you can build a project to support that grant, to support what they're looking for in that case. Um, I'm not familiar enough with the ward recipients. We looked through, um, obviously, examples of ward recipients over the past few years to see what successful projects looked like in terms of their proposals and from communities. Um, but I, I didn't look closely enough to know if there were communities that got both planning and or capital projects like okay. for both in terms of that submission. So I can't speak to that. Okay. I'd be curious to just know if any of the capital grants noted in their in their applications that they also receive planning. Yeah, and it's hard because we don't get you don't get to see what they proposed. You get to see the one page summary sheet that gets awarded of the project when the feds make an announcement about what projects are got awarded. So in the sense of knowing how everything is phased or what was competitive, you're really relying on consultants, expert guidance who have worked through these processes before to help inform your decisions about what would make a successful application. And so in these processes, we've relied on both TFG or Bartlett and West and their subcontractors to advise us um, in this area because of our lack of federal grant expertise in this space for federal highway grants. Yeah. And I'll just say, I don't have any specific person to call on to ask, but I, I know the question that's kind of cycling through my mind, and I'm, I'm open to discussion from the dais as well as um, from those um, seated is we have, we're in front of, in front of us is to either move forward with the capital piece or to suggest a pivot to the planning grant based on what's been, what we've seen in comments and some other aspects as well. I guess the question that's kind of cycling through my mind is, if we were to pivot to a planning grant, what is it that we're hoping to get that hasn't been uncovered that would put us back at this place again? So I think that's the question that's kind of that's going through my mind, and I don't know, you know, if if someone believes they have an answer, then I'd be interested to hear it. But I, what I haven't heard that has answered that question for me, I haven't heard anything to answer that question for me. So I've I've heard people state things, and I've heard you know it's more conversation, it's more. So I I want I'm curious to know that what specifically in the planning if awarded a planning grant, you want to continue to do that hasn't already been continued. And it's the idea that it's going to lead us back to, because I've heard what everybody wants, but if that's not <laughs> what those wanting based on what they're advocating for, which is a downstream bridge and some other things, I don't know, I'm, I'm, that's just what's cycling through my head, so. Can I, my name is Sarah Hill, can I, Hill Nelson, can I address that question? 
Sure. Um, so I, I think actually one of the really key things when you apply for a grant like this is to consider what other funding opportunities are there available. And I think what's really interesting about this problem that we're trying to solve is that our community is divided by the river and we're also divided by the railroad and this old industrial infra, in, you know, buildings that are along the river, which duly acknowledging where Bowersock is a part of that problem. So I feel committed to try to help bridge that gap. So one of the really exciting things is with the infrastructure money, there's quite a bit of funding to, to address problems that railroads cause. And that would be, for example, in this case, the train often stops and it traps everyone in Bircham Park. It's the Burlington Northern Rail that is preventing us from crossing it at those at-grade crossings. And this is a whole nother stream of funding. Olathe just got $18 million in the last round and there are three more rounds. And we could use, in this case, develop, use the time to plan to say, okay, what can railroad dollars address? Because we clearly have a safety issue when you've got children getting packed, trapped in the park and they're dragging their bikes under the train to get out. So I think we could make a compelling case for that. So I think one of the things that we could do when we went back for a grant would not only to be, you know, where else can we get money to fund something that meets that solves this problem for our community. But even in terms of like safety, where if something happens in North Lawrence, how do we make sure that there are multiple points of egress from North Lawrence? Thinking about general community safety as well. And other things to think about are, I heard the city staff when they said, well, the other proposed options weren't within our previous plans. But I'm just not, I'm not sure, for example, why you would rule something out because it had never been thought of before. So there, you know, and, and this wasn't my idea. I just drew it on a piece of paper. It comes from many other people, but the concept of crossing it forth, going up at the levee, crossing up by I-70 and connecting directly to the existing loop right there where the pallet village will be. That, just because no one had thought of it before, I think is something that doesn't mean we should rule it out. So I'd like us to consider how do we consider the whole corridor, other things, for example, like the proposed trails at Cameron's Bluff. How do we connect our community to those trails? So there are many things that weren't considered in this process, and, I, and I'm concerned that the steering committee was derailed by information that wasn't accurate, and then I, so I, I, I think we landed on a solution that doesn't reflect community consensus because of information they were given that we have acknowledged was not true. Which I appreciate you saying that. I think you bring up two different scopes, which I, I don't disagree. I think you're wanting to, to essentially utilize a planning grant to open up a bigger scope than what at least staff was looking at. Well, I think and I you, think, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, I'm sorry. Which I don't, which again, that's, I think you're, you're bringing in two different things. So trying to conflate both of them together, or at least try to bring them both together, I think creates an even bigger scope, which makes an even bigger task, which then changes what would then be coming from us. And I don't know if I would be comfortable with a steering committee with that. So I just want to say I, I hear you and I acknowledge that. I, I disagree with utilizing funds for a specific project to try to open up another scope for a different project. There is, by, to your point, there is by BIL dollars to address the BNF, BNSF piece. And I, I think staff have seen that um, 
we don't have a project that aligns to it. I think at one point there may have been a recommendation by uh, former Commissioner Shipley in regards to doing some work with the rail yards as for the history of Yarda and yeah. some other things around exactly. that, which is its own separate project, not to be conflated with what's going on with the loop. So I, I hear what you're saying and, and, I, and I appreciate that. I would be, I would not support utilizing a planning grant to not to bring in other elements that are not necessarily in my opinion germane to what the original project is if it's saying if we're utilizing those dollars to address a CIP that's my interpretation of it but I don't disagree with what well, you're saying can I respond to that which is that the steering committee was tasked with closing the loop and so this is a way to close the loop which would achieve what the planning committee was Which tasked with doing, Which and it does it. Your planning part from, right? from the planning piece, you're saying to go back and use the planning piece to have a bigger discussion about what conceptually what closing the right. loop look like. And it's not necessarily a bigger discussion. It's like how do we close the loop? Yeah. And right now, it's a bigger discussion because this yeah. is in regards to a CIP. I'm, I'm hearing you, and I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay. Sarah. Sure. What I'm saying is that the planning, you're wanting to utilize the planning grant to do an even bigger piece than just what was, uh, what was tasked with the steering committee. So whether or not we agree to that is one thing. It's, it's the idea of now you're, you're wanting to utilize, to negate utilizing a capital grant to bring on a planning grant to do something that's outside of, outside of the scope of the CIP. Yeah, I think so I- It's two different things. Yeah, I, I think it's within the scope of the CIP, but I um, think it's, that's- Excuse me. It's, it's okay. So, okay. I apologize to interrupt, yeah. but- the back and forth is probably, yeah. Um, Commissioner Sellers, I believe just to have on the staff side, your, your question is addressed as well. I believe staff was, I think, present and also online if you wish to go ahead and hear from them as well. Yeah, we do have, I think, um, some staff on. Bring them on. Wanted to provide some response as well. Here, here. I don't know. Which, which I don't one? know. I, Mark I, I The mayor told me who was on, so I'm waiting for the mayor to tell me who's talking. So I wanted to address a little bit. If, if we switch to the planning grant, I think we have to make a decision. Not if we study it for another year, will we end up in a different place? If we think that we haven't studied enough and we need to look at this further and that that'll benefit us in the long run, I think that might be a good idea. If we think we're going to study it for another year and we're still going to end up basically where we are now, then I think you're spending additional money to get to the same conclusion. So, you know, in my view, we've looked at this for multiple years and, you know, yes, a rush process short term, but it's also been looked at long term. So that just something in my mind that we, when we weigh one versus the other, I think that's something we need to consider. And I'll just add a quick note that, so the MPO is responsible in our region for writing the bikeway plan. And we have a process where we try to update those plans every five years. So fourth quarter of 2024 is our time frame to begin the process to update the entire Lawrence Bikes plan. And so I think as we think about scoping projects and talking about all the people here tonight interested in bikeway planning, I'd be very interested in making sure you participate in those processes because that's how we develop the plans that we move forward to 
do this. And when we're looking at federal grant seeking, we can't just think of a new idea and go propose it. They're looking for projects that are in our approved regional plans. And so we have to create transparency in the public process that these long range plans create opportunities for us to collectively um, include diverse community voices in system planning like for bicycles and pedestrians, which we've done in that process. I believe in addition, uh, Melissa Seibin has her hand up as well from staff. Yeah, Mayor and Commissioners, I just wanted to note that um, what Commissioner Sellers was getting at is, is true. If you're looking at the change of the scope, and I think Melinda Harger was also wanting to get at this, um, this is a rescoping of um, sort of what we had out for an RFP, and she wanted to kind of talk about that process. And additionally, um, there are other elements that are coming out here that are not um, directly related to what was tasked in that RFP. So, um, Linda, if you want to kind of take it away, and raise may not be, as Commissioner Sellers was saying, the avenue that would be best fitted for what is being discussed tonight. Good evening, commissioners. I just wanted to add that um, as city staff, we do need to follow our purchasing policy. And so uh, there was a scope defined in the RFP. We do have the ability to do change orders. Um, however, that also requires a process um, that would typically take five or six weeks. Um, when we change a contract by more than 10%, this planning scope was around 270,000. It would likely increase the scope to the point where we would need to bring that back to the Commission, um, if we were able to quickly negotiate a scope over a couple weeks and get that supplement agreement approved by um, the city attorney's office, it would then come to you in March. And at that point, we have um, passed our, our deadline to submit. So we would be looking at next year if that is the direction we received tonight. Um, staff would also want clarification on the piece, which is close the loop that was funded for design this year and construction next year if we would be asked to continue with that piece of it and be looking at planning for the other components of um, crossing the rail um, and um, and the river, you know, would we proceed with the loop piece or push that out in the CIP? That's the process we're updating right now to come to you with a updated CIP uh, in June. So those are just some clarifications I wanted to add and, and also just um, mention some direction that the that staff would like just for clarity. Question for staff. I think the river, the thing I'm most interested in was the river path. Mm -hmm. And did we get to us? I know we have 1.2 million where it stops. Did we get to a point where they costed out the, the river path before it was nixed? Uh, yes, when we were going through cost proposals, we had that, that bridge that went flew over the dam costed out. So basically, we could do that, the helix and the $10 million river crossing in the project. So it was viable cost-wise to do the 7th Street alignment, the river flyover. Go ahead. I'm just going to jump right in. The number for that was $6 million for that river alignment. I mean, so the, what the steering committee originally approved, which had the river and this alignment, what was the total cost of that? Uh, it was right at $25 million. Was that $25 million? Yes. 
a question. Is this a matching grant situation? No. No, there's no match required. Any additional questions? I have one yep. question. Um, sure, Vice So Mayor. it's more of a accounting bookkeeping question. I really felt a strong pushback from staff, both in the room and on Zoom, re related to uh, changes to the contract based on our purchasing requirements. And um, I, I really want to make sure we understand what that means because I got an, I got a feeling initially that we couldn't really talk to the consultant about any of these things we want to talk about unless we renegotiate from what I understand. I want to make sure that's what, what I'm hearing. So that'd be potentially five weeks. It may be a short two week time frame, but I want to understand what that me what everyone meant when they said this consultant, um, you know, has a fixed scope of work. Um, there's a, f a fixed or some general amount of money in the budget. And um, if we try to reach out to them, uh, with changes that would somehow compromise our purchasing system or somehow compromise the contract and put us in a situation. I want to make sure I understand what that means because I heard that earlier and um, I'm unclear on that. If Melinda's online, she's probably the best to yes. answer yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, please. Yes, commissioners, I'm, I'm happy to um, respond to that. So staff is authorized only to make changes to a certain amount. Um, so if, if we wanted to change the scope of work from what the contract allows, we have to get that in writing and follow our purchasing policy up to that point. So we cannot direct them to do work and then ultimately pay them for that work if it's different than the scope that's in the agreement. It's okay. And that process will take to rewrite the scope and to renegotiate that scope could take a month or six weeks? Um, for comparison, to get the original scope, it, I think Jessica mentioned it was about two months. Um, a supplement agreement like this would probably go faster. Um, but our process to get something on the commission, we, we typically put our request in to be on a commission night consent agenda three weeks in advance because it goes through all the approval processes. It gets finance approval, CMO approval, legal approval before it can come to you. Um, and then at that point, it can go through um, and be executed. That process on something like this is an electronic agreement that can typically be signed by the city manager's office within a few days after uh, commission approval. But um, if it's a hard copy, then it can take a couple more weeks after that. So. On this particular agreement, the earliest would be sometime in March, which is past the deadline for the, the submittal. And, and we've, have we already exhausted the funds in the original agreed upon amount for this? How much of the money would we, have we used up at all uh, to, to this point? I, I took a look. It doesn't appear, but we've only received their invoice through the end of December. So they have not submitted an invoice for their work in January, February yet and as you saw a majority of the work happened in january so i'm um, not sure yet you know where where they fall at the end uh, we haven't got the january invoice okay so realistically anything we talk about other than approving this that's before us any changes to that really could cause a change to the contract more than 10 percent we're gonna have to renegotiate anyway anything if we don't go along with what we talk about and what's been discussed to this point forward, if we add any left turns to this straight path and it's a two left turns, it's too much and we have to renegotiate basically, right? I mean, that's what we're saying. 
if we're planning to submit for a construction grant and make changes, my understanding is a lot of the calculations for this route for that benefit cost have already taken place. That if those are minor changes where they had to redo little calculations and still think they could get it done in time, we may be able to do that within our approval authority if it's that only that part of the scope, the cost benefit analysis, but if it was a completely new application, um, that would exceed the 10% have to come to the commission. Okay, cool. It's oh, sure, regardless of if it's a capital grant or a planning grant, it's due in two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I have a question. So if this is, is submitted and we get the grant, if we find out some of these pieces can't be built for property access or too close to the power station, um, south side of the city hall, um, can they be changed? I mean, that's just examples. Um, it could be other things. It goes back to the, <laughs> it goes back to the scrutiny piece. I think um, most of what we've got on the narrowed concepts is feasible from the discussions we've had. But if we did run into that, ran into that situation, I think we would probably just have negotiations with with the grant overseeing entity, like we would on a state grant. Okay, thank you. But they could claw it back. Pardon me. But they could claw it back if there was an area of concern and we weren't able to. I know. <laughs> I was like, I, don't, I, was like, I know. These questions I know. are so speculative because it's I, hard I to say again. And so I think the intention is, you know, we've gotten federal money before from transportation alternative grants. Those do grant dollars are overseen by the Kansas Department of Transportation. In some of those processes, just like one Jake's working on now, um, related to the connection from Sandra Shaw to our undercrossing at K-10, or at, K at I-70, that's an example where we've had to go back and we have to continue to work with all of the parties involved and now you have a new party, which is the federal government. Already we're gonna have lots of other parties involved in this process. We're gonna have the Army Corps of Engineers. We're going to have property owners in these places, including utility operators. And so I think as we get into this, this is a problem where you get in, you're at concept level, right? And as you get into design, there are unknowns in these processes. And so we would have to kind of take it as it comes in terms of evolving to the response of what we, the intent, like, can we negotiate with the feds that the intent of what we submitted is still there and that the fiscal constraints can still be met and then see where we end up in terms of that option. There's always an option that they could say, this is not the project you proposed and no, we're not gonna fund it. Generally, they want to try to work with you to achieve the project vision that you've presented. And so we would work in that situation in, in our best faith to go forward in that way, trying to, of course, reduce as much speculation as we could in that process. But it's hard to say there's a lot of unknowns in this process and we've never applied for or received a raise grant just like when you submit a raise grant we've come to find out that when you submit a grant if you are not awarded the grant in the process you get feedback from federal highways and so that gives you an opportunity to understand how you did in regards to their scoring system and also to understand how you may want to adapt that in the future to consider future planning or construction grants in relationship to your project so it's a learn this federal process and the and all of the money in bipartisan infrastructure law has been a learning experience for us without um, 
you know, having been involved in this federal space for construction of these type of big roadway bike ped projects that are competitive in nature. Okay. So this is the first, this is the first round in 2024 of the race. Yeah, generally, RAISE has one round each year. And I think the current funding, the RAISE is 2022 to 2026. So we would anticipate a few more years to that. It's my understanding, though, that the NOFO is, as written, can be amended. So based on politics and legislative intent, there's committee work and that there's details in the NOFO, the Notice of Funding Opportunity, that calls for how a project is going to be scored can change over that time. That is the part that's not set. So it's hard for us to know what the intent is going to be in that program in future years. Well, in short, the goalposts can move on you. In Correct. Yeah, and, and I think it's not to scare people with that, but it's to let people know right. we're, we have spent a lot of time and energy on this process, and the desire is to deliver a product to meet these community goals. And obviously there's... Um, consternation around what approach we've taken in this process um, but at the same time it's one of the considerations we have to weigh just like any of the others as we're evaluating what a viable project looks like for our community to improve safety that's something that we can have feel is an unmistakable identity for our community and that achieves the goals of connectivity and mobility and ADA um, that you know are all also values of our community Last question, are these direct DOT funds or are they passing through KDOT then to us? These are direct um, agreements with federal highways. So you negotiate an agreement with federal highways and oftentimes they have a reimbursement system similar to like how we do federal transit or federal aviation dollars that we're working directly with them um, and complying with federal regulations. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. So, what are we thinking? Um, I'll come first at the shoot. Um, uh, it's unfortunate that the you know timetable on this was accelerated, but given the information provided provided by staff, um, and uh, you know just reading it into a little bit a little bit more, it's uh, and as Commissioner Sellers said regardless of what's submitted, it has to be submitted before the end of this month. And uh, I think it might be a little bit late to go ahead and turn paths right now. So um, additionally to that to that case, uh, th this is one of the plans that was presented and this did have some, some backing in the middle part of the process. So I know that uh, the elimination of that river piece that Commissioner Finkeldye mentioned before um, kind of brought this to this level, um, but uh, um, gosh, at this point, uh, just just so that we can go ahead and get something on the books and that this is something that has been in our CIP for years, um, I'd like to us to go ahead and proceed with it so that we could have a viable path, path across, across the river and also connections to the loop. Um, I, I think uh, what this path will give us as well is that viable path that uh, you know folks can also connect to downtown, the library, uh, the pool, and uh, other other amenities. So, um, I would be in favor of approval on this. So, a couple of things. One, the deadline's in two weeks. So, to, to me, it's not a binary decision of we either do it or we don't. 
I think the question at hand is for, at least for me, is do we feel like we have, we've done the due diligence to put together and submit an application that could or could not get funded and if it does, it may get the full amount. It may not get the full amount. This is the federal government. Formularies, wards are all done differently. So that's one. So we can either not do it, start all over, redo the scope, spend more money, and do what we think from a planning perspective, waiting another year or whenever the NOFO comes out, because this is not going to happen in two weeks. I think what we need to understand is that whatever change we want to happen, it's not going to happen in the next two weeks, so we're looking at something that's going to that we would present for next year. I think that is where we start. That if this is not what we want to do moving forward, then the option is we do a change. We have staff bring us back a change of scope for a project that could potentially be awarded next year. So that's one. Two is we move forward and hope for the best. Three, we move forward and we don't have it. And four is just we say, good money well spent, and we're back at square one. So um, I understand the planning piece, and I've heard from constituents that yes, there is a need based on a different scope and a different project that has not been presented to us that's not a CIP for us to go after dollars. That's why we have the Ferguson Group working with us to go after and to find those grant dollars based on either CIP projects that we've not been able to fund or projects that have come up that we know there's an interest and there's a potential for us to find grant dollars out there. So we have that system working. And that's what happens when we have CIPs come before us, whether it's from staff or it's from the community. And you have that option. So the planning piece of this, I don't see that working. It's just not going to happen. And it's, you know, whether that's lost, I think the, the moving up of the deadline really hamstring, really hamstring strung us on this. And even with maybe with the five weeks, maybe with the change in the deadline, if it was back to the original, we could have been cutting it real close. And I think you would have a different vote tonight based on that bit of information. But regardless of what staff has shared with the steering committee or not, changing it because of the deadlines, it just doesn't work with us. So the question is, do we continue and we vote up a project that could potentially be funded and we move forward with that? Or do we vote down this and say we start all over again next year? I, guess, I haven't made that decision yet. <laughs> <laughs> but those are my two choices. <laughs> I guess my concern is I'm, you know, as the steering committee said and the staff said, that to me the number one priority is closing the loop. And the street option of closing the loop, you know, I think has been on the table and I think it's something we can fund you know, through our CIP, if, if I mean, you know, it, it says $1.5 million. If that's what we end up doing, to me, if, I think if, to me, if you're going to, thank you. I think if, without the river 
portion of this, I mean, I, I don't see how we really accomplish a lot on closing the loop. And if we're going to spend $21 million to, quote, close the loop, I don't, I don't think this really accomplishes that. I mean, the bridge, and it does some other things, but that number one priority doesn't get accomplished. And, you know, I guess, you know, once, once you remove that portion of it, that's what seems to me needs to go back to the drawing board, which is how can we close the loop in a way and that gets us, you know, through this downtown area without doing the street version. And if the answer is there's no way to do that, then, you know, then I guess we're stuck with the street version. But if we're going to put a grant together, I guess I support one that we figure out a way to get through that. And, and again, maybe, maybe there's no way to do it. Maybe there's a way, if you spend $21 million, you could complete that part of the loop. Um, and I guess I just don't support putting this proposal forward because then even if we got it, we would end up with a project that I don't think really does an effective job of closing the loop. Want me to chime in uh, down here? I'm just going to have a few words. I promise they'll be short, Amber. Um, <laughs> Never promise. I'm, no, I'm uncomfortable with um, jumping in at this point and moving forward with approving application for a grant at this point in time only because it doesn't solve several of the problems that I see as a bicycle rider who commutes to downtown from the west side of town. And I think Brad really hit the nail on the head. I think we need, if we're going to spend money on uh, our, our bicycle routes in our community, um, and we're going to spend $10 million on a bridge, which is less than 500 feet from the abutment or the base of another bridge uh, that can serve some some people. It doesn't serve, you know, our ADA compliance needs, and it's not the most comfortable way across the bridge. But we have a bridge there, so I'm with you. I want to see our money. I want to see our budget spent on on completing the loop around Lawrence. I, I feel like we have. Um, kind of lost the plot a little bit here. I really love this. I would love to see something like this in Lawrence, but I feel like unmistakably Lawrence is one that you could ride around the whole community like we advertised 15 years ago when we talked about, you know, really spending money on the loop. And this feels like a, a spur. You know, this, this, this feels like a, a side trail or a sidetrack, and I don't want to get sidetracked on completing the loop around our community. And so I, I really want to spend money on this. I really want to focus our community on, on bicycle safety and, and, and walkability. Um, I still can't cross in front of City Hall safely. And until I can do that and I see something that proves that, then I really want to make a clear point that we've got to fix that choke point in our community. And this plan doesn't do it for me. And that's the only reason I'm voting against it is because I don't feel like it serves that the intended purpose of the loop for me. So that's, that's it. Did I miss the community? We did, we did already have public comment on this item. Thank you. All you had to do was text it to me. So from my perspective, a couple of issues that I'm concerned about on this is is that 6th Street and that whole congested area 
where we're trying to cross directly. I, I, I'm very concerned about that. And I do agree that does this accomplish in the most efficient manner to get our uh, loop closed? And then also having watched those meetings that I do feel as though when staff had indicated that concrete wasn't allowed, that did make a difference based on listening to those meetings, unfortunately. Um, and I wonder if they were given that information today, if something would be different. Um, obviously, we can't tell that, but I'm, I'm concerned about some of the congestion and how that's being addressed for, from a safety issue as well as the information that was provided um, regarding the no concrete. So no, I'm voting no. I'm going to be the person to say I want to thank staff for bringing this in front of us. And I think this is a great example of what we, one, voted to have the Ferguson group for. And it shows us the process of how items that don't make the CIP and they're in that parking lot area where we have engagement with staff and with the Ferguson group to say, hey, we have a project over here that's unfunded and we think we may have a pro we, we may have something here that fits it and that it, we think it'll be pretty successful. And we went through that process and that's what we came here to do and to vote on whether it gets voted up or voted down. I love the fact that what we just saw was was our city and our CIP in action, and it did quite well, and I think it did quite well. And so I want to thank staff for that because those are things that I get excited about. Because those are things that I had to do when I worked for the state. And so sometimes bureaucracy can be a little bit bureaucratic. This didn't seem like that for the most part. Um, no matter who's on the steering committee, folks are going to want a bridge downstream. They're going to want it upstream. They're going to want loop-de-loops. They're going to want helixes. They may want double helixes. They want covers. They want concrete. They want ADA. They may not want ADA. They may want it to go on the other side of the bridge of the river. They don't want it on this side of the river because that's where the other folks are and that's where all the camps are. We don't want anybody to get hurt or they may not get hurt. It's competitive, it's not competitive, it's, it's unmistakable, it's not unmistakable, it's all the things. It can be all of those things. And we do have to take those into account for this project. And I guess for me, not being a super avid writer, I can see the joy in having it on both sides. So that doesn't speak to me. I think what this process created was another opportunity for either staff or for our community during the CIP process to submit a project for something that could potentially be another raise grant for next year or one of the the railway grants that we have or one directly through BNSF that they have. Um, that's a little bit more, that cycle's a little bit more frequent to do those things. So I think from this one process we ended up creating maybe two or three other projects that could potentially happen that we would have to vote on in the next couple of months on whether or not we're going to fund them or they're going to be on the parking lot area and we'll find the Ferguson group and they'll find some funding for that as well and we'll go through this process again. So I don't know. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have voted for um, changing it to a planning simply for the, the fact that we don't have time. So that was kind of a moot um, argument at this point to say the pivot. We don't have the time to pivot. We wouldn't have had the time to pivot. 
even if the deadline was at its original point, we wouldn't have had it. So I wouldn't have voted for that. Um, where this is now, I mean, voting it up would be to get something going and to see if we could get funding for it. From here, we're, you know, we're hearing that for a small percentage of folks who were engaged in this process, they don't like the design. But that doesn't mean that there might be another percentage of folks out there that do like to design. So there's that piece. So, I mean, I'm voting for it on the simple fact that it allows us to go through the process and grants and maybe it'll change. Maybe the design is something that somebody works. I don't know. I'm hearing about making biking in downtown safe. I don't know if it'll ever be safe. I don't know what we're the unicorn that folks are wanting to chase with this project is ever, if this is gonna meet it, or if it's ever going to be achieved. I don't think it is. I don't know if there's a safe way to cross 6th Street by City Hall because that's just a horrible area over there. I, I, I get frustrated coming out of the parking garage going home on 6th Street because it is a very high traffic, dangerous area. So to say we, we have a plan to make that safe, we could. But I don't know if it's going to be safe for who. I don't know how we define safe. Will it be something that is appreciated by those in the community? Probably so. And those who don't live in the community may not appreciate it and they may not want to do it. So, I mean, I, I have to listen to the folks who came today as well as the folks who didn't come today. And so I'm not denying this. It's a due diligence because I'm voting against a planning piece. I would still want us to do the planning piece. That needs to happen. And I would love to see that come in front of us. Um, but I would be voting this up tonight, but not for the reasons that others may have if they were voting for it. But I do recognize and, and appreciate those of my fellow commissioners who are voting this down. I just see it in a different perspective. Commissioner Finkelay. Um. Before I follow up, um, to Commissioner Finkeldy's question about the Riverside, um, just confirmation on that. Is there any way that that could be included in the proposal that goes forward? I, I don't think it would be wise to push forward a concept we know isn't feasible okay. with the narrative we've been working with. And Jake, let me ask you that. I mean, sorry, it's not feasible given the current current condition of the current condition and the current scope of the rest of the remainder of the narrowed concepts. Remember, because when we had that bridge going through there without any complications, we are at the maximum ask of the grant. So to do anything above and beyond that with the rest of the narrowed concepts would be above and beyond what the budget of the raise grant could support. And I guess, again, I, I mean, I, I want, I mean, I, I'm voting against this because I, I don't like this plan. I hope, I mean, I, I hope we keep working on this and we come back next year and put together a raise grant. Um, and I guess, you know, again, I'm just throwing stuff out. I mean, I'm making okay. stuff up, but, you know, we have 1.5 million in for the street side, you know, if it took a million dollars to, I don't know, move the tower or, you know, whatever, 
um, I would, you know, say, hey, let's, you know, use a million dollars to move the towel or create something else, and then we can put this thing through. I, I mean, it might be that it's $10 million to move the towel or whatever. I don't know the answer to that, but um, I, I, I understand how we can't do it now. I mean, I appreciate that, um, but I hope we continue to look at those options. Um, I guess my thought. I, so, Jake, I, I appreciate that answer. Sure. Okay. Sounds like we're kind of narrowing in on what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. All right, I'd call for a motion on this. So, I want to say real quick that in I think I feel, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate tonight. <laughs> that a no, like to your point, Commissioner Finkelstein, a no vote doesn't mean never. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I I hope staff comes back with a proposal to figure out how we keep working on this. I mean, I, I mean, you know, it's going to cost us some more money probably, but um, I mean, I think we want to keep working on it, and I don't think it has to be a planning grant. I mean, to make that happen, I think yeah. we've we've got a lot of the information in there, so let's keep keep working at it. Okay. I guess I don't. I can. No, is the motion to deny that? I guess I'm looking. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. If, if we make a motion to approve and vote it down, is that enough? Indirect, yeah, so indirect who's gonna approve, yeah. Who's going to make a motion to approve it? I can then. make the motion. Okay. You can take the, um, <laughs> the, tense, the, the tension out of the room. Uh, I move that we approve the raised grant concept for the Lawrence Loop Trail called River 7th Street to Constant Park Project, known as PR5-B23003, and authorize the city manager to sign the letter of funding commitment. Yes, I'm seconding it. Uh, first and a second. I didn't hear who made uh, I did. Okay. The mayor. mayor. Yeah, the mayor second. did. Just uh, go ahead and get it going. Um, all those in favor of said motion, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, please say nay. Nay. All right. The nays carry it. Three to two. Three to two. Okay. Nay. Yes. Aye. All right. That does it. Okay. Um, moving us on to commission, or I'm sorry, item H, commission items. Oh, hold on a sec. I'll let everybody, unless you want to hear commission items. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next year. Yeah. Definitely. Get on the planning. are even just a half mile downtown I mean, it would just save everybody's lives all right river item h commission items um i had a just a point of information there's a bill that was introduced last friday that piqued my curiosity, uh, SB 492, short title is repealing the prohibition on transportation of alcoholic beverages in open containers and on drinking and consuming alcohol liquor inside vehicles while on public streets, alleys, roads, or highways. Mm. Doing away with it. Now look, 
<laughs> and that's how I read it. Oh, like, mm. that's, that's scary. Let's see. On public uh, streets? Well, you, you guys got to read it. KS Ledge. I've got it down. 492. Is that 492. Yes. 492. Definitely. Whoa. Um, introduced by Senator Haley of Wyandotte. So, hmm. yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, I'll get to see him tomorrow. I'll, I'll ask about it. Um, and the reason, uh, it just piqued my curiosity because one of the things I was thinking about, as we know that um, the university will not be playing any home games here, uh, I thought to kind of get a jump start on bringing back in front of the commission. I know we have a couple of ordinances on food trucks and we've kind of discussed what, um, or at least like to see, we've discussed it, but we haven't really seen anything in front of us as what a entertainment district could look like downtown. Mm -hmm. So maybe start bringing that up in sooner rather than later so that we could have good time to plan for if that's something we want to do temporarily in to that capacity. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And you're talking about the common consumption area, correct? Yes. I like that common consumption area. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, common consumption and then looking at our it seemed like Sunday policy night, around food trucks. Sunday night after the Super Bowl we had a common consumption <laughs> for a little bit. Unofficial. Yes. Unofficial common consumption. Unofficial. So, yeah. But looking at the official one would be worth, worth looking at. Yeah. With a little help from SB 492. Mm -hmm. I had one item. Oh, uh, before we move on to your item, does everybody cool with that? Yeah, I, I think. All right. uh, I think. Yeah. Sounds like food trucks I'm, always. I'm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like there's a little legal behind that, so it's. Uh, April, May. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So um, we coming up for a vote this fall is the um, vote on the the mayor elected directly elected mayor as well as the the districts wards whatever we're calling them. And I recall that when we were going through these these discussions that at some point we were going to have a discussion about what that. The roles of the the role of the mayor, um, and how we perceive that whole process to work, um, provide information generally to the public, so when they vote, they've got information um, that uh, the commission is supporting regarding what that uh, the, de the details of that. So, it, is everybody still interested in talking about that? Yes, ma'am. You mean uh, the role of the mayor? Or the role of the commission? Or both? Yeah, yeah, both the okay. role of the mayor and how that okay. works. Yeah, sure. I thought we had some of that planned out, but I'm happy yeah, to know more about I it. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, we, I don't remember details. at the you, same time, we should talk about what the public education plan is. Correct, that, yes, that whole. That I would be interested in. And that, that would be part of that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the resolution defines generally what the role would be. Um, that did you already adopt it? Um, but yeah, we can we can outline. We've been having preliminary conversations. Remember, it was so early that we said as soon as we get closer. Yeah. But yeah, we'll be we'll be developing some communication, you know, informational communication pieces. Yeah, just make sure the public understands what they're voting on. So, when would you like to talk about that? I know we're starting to get into the budget season. Um, right. That's just going to take over everything. Beginning of summer. Six weeks. 
I mean, realistically, there's or going August. to be a pretty a lot of things on the November yeah. ballot right. that will consume a lot of interest. So, um, you think so? Getting out early. Or- well, I I just think it, the best that we can do is is make sure that it, we have a we have our, our talking points together and we get them out consistently. But I don't think realistically we're going to capture we'll be able to capture the attention in that very crowded ballot. I would think even late summer, actually, August, September, you know, a couple months before the election. To, I mean, to educate or to talk about it? What do you, what Pardon do you, me? Are you saying to educate or to talk about it? We could start talking and then roll out the education plan at that point and then. Got it. And there would still be a couple months before the election. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I agree. I don't think you want to roll out the education plan before the primary. I mean, I think you have to yeah. roll it out afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think if we talk about it, in the summer, so it's ready to be rolled out late August or whatever. I think that's that would be the time frame I'm thinking about. There's virtually no staff prep time for you having a discussion because you've already you've already you know adopted a resolution. I mean, the commission has. Right. I mean, I'm not against the. Edu- I mean, the educational piece. I don't know if we need to discuss what we want the education to be unless someone has some specific things they wanted to talk on or, you know, organizations or groups that we need to impress upon or commissions to do that. So, I mean, I don't mind talking about, I, I think one, yes, to Commissioner Finkelstein's point, it needs to happen after the primary um, when it's more captive, um, you have a more captive audience. I just don't know in addition to what else are we needing to talk about about the roles. I mean, because then you start getting into, you're kind of tipping the top, you're kind of dipping into ordinance language. And I mean, if somebody wants to change the ordinance, then you do that after the form of government. We don't do that. Yeah, after I would. Vote, you don't do it before. I would agree, because all we're really doing is reiterating what we've previously stated or decided upon. So, I mean, all we really would need is the public education piece to make sure that people, one, know it's coming, two, what it's all about, and three probably have a readily available resource where they can have their questions answered. But I think it warrants a discussion at the commission as far as understanding what staff is proposing for the educational piece. Um, How about May? And May? I mean, so that can be a commission, that can be a city manager's report of outlining what that's going to look like and what the talking points are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if we need to be having if we need to have input on talking points because that's electioneering. Sure. So yeah, we're kind of we're kind of we're playing with the line. <laughs> and if it isn't, there could be the potential that something could happen during those discussions that could be along those lines. So I think it's I think it's part of the educational piece is just making sure the the public understands exactly what the vote means because we're changing you know. It's our form of government, and you know, people are used to things one way, and now it's going to be a different way, and you got to make sure they get it. And if they don't get it, 
if they vote for it and they don't like it, there's going to be a re, you know. So I, I would rather we err on the side of, hey, we really tried to make sure you understand what this means to you as a citizen. But if yeah. you all think it's pretty clear based on your previous discussions, then I'm not. Well, I mean, not, just, no, I'm yeah. not saying that. What I'm saying yeah. is that we, we're, I think you and Commissioner Larson are talking about two different things. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Larson's getting into we're telling staff whether or not we agree with what they came up with as far as talking points. My thing oh. is what you're talking about is, yes, there needs to be a plan. What is the plan? There's going to be, we're going to be at the fair. We're going to do this at the library. Here are these talking points. Here's the website. Mm -hmm. Here, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm not going to say yay or nay on whether or not I like talking points on. Sure the form of government, because one, it's in the ballot, that sample language would be out there. Two, that's towing the line of electioneering. Totally understand what you're saying now. And I don't, yeah. I, yeah. no, that makes sense. I can't do session. that. Yeah, that's fine, but in May, we'll, we'll outline, this is the communications plan that'll be compliant with electioneering law. And um, <laughs> right. just to show you, this is how we plan to roll out communication. It probably won't have graphics or anything at the time, but we, you know, we'll, we'll show you this is the plan. It is in a prominent part of the agenda. People should be able to see it. You will hear it and, you know, people can comment on it and then, you know, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sound good? Yes, sir. Yep. All right. All right. City manager's report. Unless I'm, I apologize. Oh, that's Any it. Further commission items? I have none, sir. Thank you. Anything? City manager's report. Okay. Thank you. Um, a couple of uh, memorandum. Not on, commission no, items. not on commission items. A couple of memorandum uh, were included in your packet. One, uh, the first one is uh, an outline uh, that was brought to us by um, by MSO and Planning Development Services, and it really does outline th um, the work that's already been done to do, to improve uh, the development process, the work that is is underway right now, and the work that we plan to do, and it's. It's pretty impressive and it's pretty um, comprehensive. So I just want to draw your attention to that. We give it to you so you have some talking points. We'll be communicating this more out to the community. Obviously, we've been through the uh, electronic permitting and licensing implementation, which was a heroic effort by th those teams. And as we start to get into there, the users of the system are really going to experience this improvement, both on the technology and some of the other things that you see noted in here. So we just wanted to give you and the community some talking points. Um, on that process. Um, th there are two other uh, items from our city attorney's office that are just um, answering your questions that you posed um, for some legal um, issues and impacts that they might have and their, the, their analyses are in there as well. And then upcoming meetings. Happy to answer any questions. Okay. Any questions for Craig? Not seeing any. Mm -mm. All right, this is a public comment item. Any public comment here in the room? Not seeing any. Um, any online? Stephen Watts. Yeah, public comment. It's almost becoming a joke, is it not? I mean, I've been texting away here asking questions. There's never a response. Who is the person responsible for 
responding to these texts, I wouldn't have asked the question about input on the other matter had somebody responded to this. And now, all right, we have the very nicely paid and very good working city or, uh, city manager opining on well, actually very little. And so you have to scratch your head and wonder, what is going on with this operation? I mean, is this just a, uh, it, it is incredible the way these meetings take place and the inability of this town commission to run our town. The public speaks to the town to run the town. The, there aren't any matters to discuss about what the city manager's report is on. The city manager doesn't report on the failure of his staff to respond to telephone calls, to respond to telephone calls. The city manager's office does not respond to, well, a whole lot. Unless you have a whole lot of money and are there hat in hand smiling. Again, let's back up. I had some matters to discuss about relative to the equivocation that you were presented relative to the fire department issues and carbon monoxide detectors, and yet denied that opportunity to talk. This is just incredible, you guys. Uh, do you look at the meeting chat? I mean, do you just not care? Is that what it is? Who is the people, who are the people responsible to respond to these issues inside the decorum of the meeting? Uh, next week, we will talk about, and the city, the city manager did not bring this up, the much delayed whitewashing report coming from the group relative to the police department work group. After that, what's gonna happen next? Are you guys gonna do away with the police review board? Because, you know, all those meetings have stopped. The police issues have not stopped in our community. With that, I will stop. This is just incredible you let this happen. You let these people uh, do this nonsense inside the text chatting of the Zoom meetings. Do you have to come there in public in person. Is that what you want? Please think about that. Thank you. Any further public comment? <clears throat> All right, sir. I just want to take a second to say very much appreciate the planning development update summary and uh, what Melissa and Jeff put together there, the work they've been doing, the work they're going to do. Certainly looking forward to the two text amendments we initiated and then some of this future initiative. So I look forward to that. So thanks for, thanks for putting that together, but thanks even more for the work. Thank you. Thank you. I've been hearing good things and uh, it's, it's good to uh, know that we're moving in a positive direction. All right, anything else? All right, moving on to the next item, commission calendar. Any items on the calendar? Mm -mm. 
Yep. Looks like some ribbon cutting needed. Okay, I'm not hearing anything. I'm no, gonna sir. move this on. I would entertain a motion to adjourn. I move that, sir. Okay. First and a second. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 None opposed. Pass five zero. We're adjourned. Have a good Thank night, you. everyone. Oh. This is crunch. Mother.